1: everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 111 and this week i am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest hello
0: gerard hey john uh thanks for having me back on uh, i'm looking forward to arguing with you for the next two and a half hours <laughs> over uh, the proper ranking of the sailor scouts
1: oh okay so you want to do this again let's go uh- <laughs> Uh, I know you know you have that boring- Well, I, the only, the only
0: bone of contention is that I had <laughs> a Mercury at number three, uh, but you had her at the very bottom, and I thought that was outrageous.
1: Look, I my problem with Mercury, it's actually just, it's hilarious. I, I was just talking about this with my girlfriend yesterday, and she and I both agree on this. Mercury is, like, too perfect, which um, my favorite two, Sailor Senshi, are also too perfect. Haruka and Michiru, uh, Neptune and Uranus but they have the attitude that people who are that perfect would have. So it works for them. Like they are conceited. They are kind of fucking stuck up. They think they can do everything better than everybody else, which they can. So it makes sense. Meanwhile, Ami is good at everything. Like she's a fucking genius. She's somehow a great swimmer. She's like good at everything she does. And she like writes songs, I think in one episode, basically anytime there's a filler episode, she has a new scale. But like she's also like the nicest person in the world and doesn't have any ego about anything and is very timid. It's like if you were really that perfect, you would have an attitude about it. You wouldn't just be this like quiet person. So no, Ami Ami can get in the bin. She's somehow like too perfect and also too boring. It's a really weird and bad combination.
0: Now, did you first start watching Sailor Moon when it was like originally on North American TV and syndication, or was that later? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched I, I watched it as a kid. Yeah, it's so the fir- yeah. Well, which is why, like, my three favorite are like Jupiter, Mars, and Mercury. Although I put Venus and Moon at the bottom, but like to me, that I was love the, the I love that's it. the more like formative stuff that I watched. And I did, and I was watching that when I was I don't know like eight, nine, ten. And I didn't watch any more like Sailor Moon until I was like in my early twenties. So that's why you know maybe yeah. uh, I maybe I have some rose colored glasses on uh, Sailor Mercury. <laughs> I'm glad you let me
1: go on my Sailor Mercury rant. She's very <laughs> overrated. I don't get it. I love the, but yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I loved as a kid, I guess I loved, I probably loved Mars as a kid. I don't even remember.
0: Oh, well, she was such and, a badass. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then like later on in life, I discovered um, like the outers and stuff. and I was always really into the outers and Sailor Venus, uh, like really grew on me because she's the only character on that show that, like, instead of becoming, like, a more responsible person or whatever, she just, like, fucking devolves. Like, she becomes, like, more and more crazy as the show goes on. And I really respect that about her, so. You know what I find funny, too, though? Nobody ever ranks the Starlights. And I never even... I'm guilty of this, too. I never remember to rank the Starlights when I'm ranking the century. I always remember to rank the Outers, but I never... I never remember to rank the Starlights. Same, yeah. I guess because they're only there... I guess because they're only there for, like, a season. But... I mean the is only there for like a season and a half. Like well, see, like, I don't I don't like, like I never
0: got into the fandom necessarily, so I don't even know if there's like certain like backlash or anything or like a part of the fandom that like resents them or anything like that. Uh there's parts of the fandom that resent everybody. <laughs> I think yeah. it's like, okay, it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: it's very factual. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if anybody agrees on anything in Sailor Moon fandom. But all right. What else has been up to you with you other than uh, Sailor Moon
0: rankings, Gerard? Uh, What was your last episode? Was it Champion Carnival? uh, No, it was the uh, half year in review. I think.
1: Oh, you're right. You were on that. Yeah, I'm so bad at remembering the last episode people (laughs) did, but you were on. You were definitely on the Champion Carnival episode.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, since then it's basically been a lot of more uh, New Japan, and still trying to keep up with watching every show that all japan puts out although the amount of attention i divert to some of them maybe i have it on in the background i admit it yeah what
1: have you been thinking of like because we talked about this i i assume you, i think you listened last week i think I did. you told me you did what did you have any like difference of opinion that someone who watches like a ton of all
0: japan um, like as far as like their booking and how interesting not- it's been not a ton. No, there's like no hot takes that are like you guys were wrong or anything like that. Um, But it was more like a, like, I don't know. I think I would say though, I think the undercards are getting a little better. Uh They're just, it's not like there's new talent, mm. but they're just booking smarter. They're giving you a couple of like, it's usually the young boys versus other juniors, or sometimes it's like juniors versus juniors. First couple of matches. And um yeah, I, I, I definitely think, like, the undercards, you know,
1: maybe I should give them another chance. I've really gotten so used to, like, skipping them. (laughs) That, like, I should probably go back and watch more of them. But, you know, sometimes they are pretty... Like, that last Korokan, um... Yep. The one we reviewed last week. There are some good stuff. Like, the Tajiri-Akira match and stuff is pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, here I, I did skip the undercard. I just didn't have enough time to watch, uh, you know, three full shows. Right. Um... But yeah, I mean, they're not a promotion, because I, I worried when I listened back that we almost came off too negative. And like, I I like the promotion, like I enjoy watching it, and I watch it, you know, more than a lot of other companies, but like, it's, it does sometimes feel like a little stagnant to me in a way that like, other companies don't typically feel. So I hope they do do some different stuff, you know, going into 2020.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think uh, I don't think you were too tough at all last week. I think it was a pretty honest assessment, although I like I starting to see a little more life. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but uh, we'll know probably pretty soon in a couple of months on the next couple of tours, what the direction will be more clearly. Yeah, for sure. Um, before you get into like
1: what we're going to talk about today, I wanted to mention a couple little housekeeping things. First of all. I was supposed to mention this on the previous two episodes, but kept forgetting. So I'm going to mention it right away. Uh, we might have noticed we moved podcast hosts, we moved from uh, the audio boom to Red Circle. And one thing I'm supposed to push for you here is that we have a little link in the episode description. Um, if you're, you have to be viewing us either on the Red Circle website or through Wrestling Omakase's feed. But if you go to, if you're not on there, if you're, viewing, you're listening to us through the um, the, uh, the main Voices of Wrestling podcast feed, you're just going to want to go to redcircle.com slash shows slash wrestling-omakase, like an actual dash. And then you'll see a little button there that says sponsor this podcaster. So, you know, as we talked about last week, don't get a lot of ad reads here on Wrestling Omakase. Uh, I don't know if it's because the the ad companies are not like lining up to advertise on Japanese wrestling because the super J cash had the same issue. but if you want to help out the podcast, if you want to give a little bit of money and you know support what we do, we'd very much appreciate that. And since we're a rotating guest podcast, if you do donate um, whatever episode like whatever week you donate, uh, I will give a cut that week to that week's guest. so, If you donate this week, Gerard here will get a cut at any donations. Um, If you donate during another week, whoever that week's guest is, will get a cut at the donations. So basically it's like a little tip or whatever, basically a way of tipping. If you like that week's episode, if you enjoy what we do here and you want to give back, uh, go ahead and sponsor. I'm not going to push this a ton. I might bring it up, you know, at the start of every episode, but it's not going to be like, you know, inserting ad breaks into every show or anything to remind you to sponsor. I would really appreciate it if you do, and I'm sure – You know our guests would too, but you know it's totally up to you, totally optional. Uh, We're never gonna go behind a paywall or anything. I just think you know we I do this because I like it, not because I'm trying to you know get rich off it or anything. Uh, So that's that. They told me to push that. Second of all, um, I wanted to plug my article on Voices of Wrestling that went up today. So I wrote about four thousand words on the. Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, the 2019 candidates uh, through what's called the Gordy list, you know, evaluating them through that through that lens, and I think it's a really interesting uh, article. <laughs> I mean, I wrote it. I guess I better think it's an interesting article. But the bigger point here is, you know, it's going to be like the the jumping off point for when we do an episode in a few weeks uh, on the voice on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Um, you know hall of fame list so i hope you check that lit, that article out it's up on voice of i worked pretty hard on it and i just wanted to plug that here uh with that out of the way we can turn our attention to this week's uh actual topics first of all with new japan the destruction in bepu show uh destruction in Beppu took place on sunday september 15th from the bepu beacon plaza uh, it had an attendance of 2,430, which was actually up from their last, uh, their last Destruction of Beppu. Uh, I think only by a few hundred, actually. I had that in front of me and then lost it. But, you know, pretty good pretty good number. Definitely up from last year, you know, pretty much in line with what they've been doing, uh, you know, all year long. Just up a little bit everywhere. Yeah, it was 2,280 last year at Destruction in Beppu, so up a little bit. Yeah. Um, Overall, though, this is, as we're going to talk about, I don't don't know how Gerard feels, but I thought this was the weakest New Japan show of the year. Um, You know, there was a really good main event, which saved it to some degree, but the undercard was just very
0: lifeless and, you know, just wasn't a very good show. I don't know. What would you think of the show overall? Uh, Yeah, maybe. Or uh, I think uh, another candidate was uh, Sengoku Lord. Uh, Wasn't that Goto and Jay White?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: No, Goto and Jay
1: White was... uh, was a different one that was that that was like an i forget
0: if that was a special road to oh i think sengoku lord was uh maybe uh sengoku lord was, was ibushi and z yeah. Yeah. yeah i love that match okay yeah whatever whatever show had that uh goto versus white match the first one uh is probably my, it was either my Hino
1: Kuni. yeah
0: that yeah, was Hino Kuni. yeah i think it was hinokuni Hino yeah, yeah. Hino Kuni. that would be my other uh candidate for worst new japan uh show of the year
1: yeah, I mean, it's been a good year, so there's not a ton of candidates in my opinion. But this one and, yeah, that Hinokuni was not very good either. But, you know, it's destruction. I mean, there's always – I when we talk about these two shows together, I mean, for w- only one of them to be what I would call bad is actually, like, probably ahead of the curve for the destruction tour. Remember, there was a few years ago where, like, either two out of the three or all three were bad. I think well, it was, like, the other that Kenny wasn't.
0: defended again. Last year wasn't so great either. Oh, oh, you mean last year, sorry. With Kenny's defending? No, no, uh, I think
1: I mean two years ago. No, no, with Kenny defending the U.S. title against Jews. Oh, that one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that really wasn't very good. Um, And then I think there was like, I don't think there was the other main event was like Tanahashi and ZSJ and their their only bad match, I think, for the Intercontinental. Um, And then there was, I don't even remember what the fuck the third main event was. Uh, probably a briefcase... No, it wasn't a briefcase defense, was it? Maybe. I don't know. The point is, it wasn't very good, that tour. Um, here, I think this is, you know, one bad show and one good show is actually kind of ahead of the average for Destruction. Uh, but the opener here for Destruction and Beppu, and what's been the highlight of the entire tour, really, is the Young Lions Cup, and Carl Fredericks got the win here over Yota Suji in 723 with the elevated half boston crab uh, that moved carl to four and one and dropped suji to one and four um this was a little disappointing you know i just said the online step has been really good and and it has and both these guys have been pretty good in it although i actually think carl fredericks maybe he was a little overhyped for me he just never he hasn't been like um quite like the badass i was expecting he looked he looked better in the tags if anything than even in the singles matches for me whereas you know i think some of the the other two la young lines have been a little more impressive for me uh has been awesome and i thought you know this was a this match is a bit of a step down for him but i went three stars on it it was still you know a good little opener it just was a little bit below what the two of them have been doing especially suji on this tour I don't know. What'd you think of this one?
0: Uh, yeah, I'd go about three stars as well. Uh, I really think this tour has been a, a bit of a coming out party for Suji. I think a lot of people had thought, and I and I include myself in that, had thought that he was like, I, I don't want to say bad, but like the weakest of the crop. And um, he has just incredibly stepped it up in the, in the, in the tournament matches and as well as the tag matches. I thought he looked great in the tag match on the next night too.
1: Yeah, he's, he's been really good. Um, you know, I definitely think he, he closed the gap at Oemura, if not, like, completely closed it. So, because I think there definitely was a gap there earlier. Uh, and then the second Young Lions Cup match, Shota Umino defeating Alex Coughlin in 8-14 with the Fisherman Suplex. Uh, moves him to 4-1 and one and drops Coughlin to 2-3. and three. Coughlin's been, like, super impressive on this tour to me. Like, he's been the guy, you know, that, like, she, um, you know, Shibata always calls apparently calls him the world's strongest baby, or he did in that new, in that interview I read on the, on the NJPW site, and he's just been like awesome on this entire tour. You know, he's a very he's a young guy, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him basically, and he's you know he already looks great. So, um, and Shota, you know, Shota Shota. I mean, there's no, I don't mean that derogatory or anything. It's just like he's so good that I don't think. You know i think people kind of take it for granted at this point for how good he is as a young lion uh but yeah i went three and a half on this i just thought it was a good match you know really good match with like the two of them beating the crap out of each other you know about as good of an eight minute match as you're between two young lions
0: as you're gonna see. uh yeah uh it was pretty good i went three and a quarter uh i find it interesting i'm kind of curious now how they decided who got left off of the g1 um uh, climax tour. Because well, I think, Coughlin Coughlin, was, I, think was, I think Coughlin was. I think he was sick. Oh, That's okay. all I read. Okay, well then. Uh, yeah, I'm that some. Like, yeah,
1: I think he was supposed to go, but he got sick.
0: Okay, well then that makes sense then. But yeah, I mean, just awesome. Uh, and Coughlin, who I guess people have seen the least of, uh, has just been like, I think uh, shot up on like one of the like up people's lists of one of the best young lions just from his performance so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he. To me, he's a standout of the LA
0: Dojo guys. I don't know how you feel. Like, I put him right above Clark Connors. Um, I don't know. For me, right now, um, I would go Connors and then uh, Fredericks or Coughlin. I don't know. I kind of get what you're seeing now that we're seeing more Fredericks singles matches. That he's not quite as good as I was led to believe, or I, or was watching in tags but uh, you know I'm gonna have to wait till the end of the tournament before I make my final uh, take on that one yeah I mean I don't think Carl Fredericks is like bad
1: or anything to make to be clear and he's still got like so much like charisma and star quality and he's got like a great look that I'm sure he'll he's got, probably gonna be a big star I just think like as far as my enjoyment in this tournament it, like from a strictly in ring standpoint like he's been third place out of the three to me like and it's not really even close so yeah uh, after that, we have the eight-man tag team match. Nagata, Taguchi, Ren Narita, and Yuya Imura against Manabu Nakanishi, Toa Hanare, Clark Connors, and Michael Richards. Um, Taguchi taps out Michael Richards in 11:18 with the Oh My Angar and which I always enjoyed that as a move name. Um, as far as this match goes, first of all, I thought Nakanishi, especially at first... I guess, like, those six months off really did him well because he was moving. I mean, there's one point early in the match where they all ran across the ring to, like, you know, take out their opponents off the other apron, and usually, like, Nakanishi would be way behind the rest of his team, but he was, like, right behind them. Like, even on the English commentary, Kevin Kelly seemed, like, visibly – or I shouldn't say visibly – audibly shocked that, like, Nakanishi made it across the ring that fast. Um But, yeah, this was fun. This actually was my favorite of the undercard tags, which says a lot about the rest of the undercard tags of the show, too. But I thought this was a really enjoyable, like, three-and-a-quarter match. I I had a good time with the Young Line battle and Nagata-Nakanishi battle. Good time was had by all.
0: Um, Yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, the, The Nakanishi moving better was the first thing I noticed. Uh, I'm just worried that it's not going to last forever. I bet you he, if he ends up in World Tag League, I bet you'll be moving uh, pretty slow by January. I was going to um, say, I didn't, I didn't even think it really lasted all the way through this match. But. Yeah. Or it was like, yeah, because clearly Nakanishi, like you put him in a match, he tries too hard and blows up or like cannot physically do it. Because remember yeah. his uh, New Japan Cup match this year when he wanted to do like a Pescado? Yeah. And then I mean, was the like, guy, you know, the guy all... like he's this big guy that can barely move, but he
1: wants so bad to be good. And like, I think he is good anyway because he has this like charisma to him and his like sense of timing is still really, really good. So I still, yeah, I really enjoy a... watching him wrestle.
0: Yeah, he's got uh, the oh, veteran go intelligence. Oh, he's, he's got the veteran intelligence. So he can like compensate for his uh, body by just, you know, knowing when to pick his spots and that kind of thing. He's very endearing, I guess, too. It's like, he just, like you watch him and you want
1: to, you want him to do well. I don't really get people who like, hate seeing Nakanishi. It's like, he he pops up four times a year on fucking undercard tags. I think he'll survive. But yeah, I I enjoy him. Um, After that, we had a six-man tag team match with Rapungi 3K and Jushin Thunder Liger against Suzuki, Kanemaru, and Doki. Um, I didn't really care for this that much. I thought it was like just really got bogged down um by all the outside the ring brawling as some of these Suzuki Goom matches are um, you know, prone to do. Uh show ended up pinning Doki in 1036 after the 3K. Um, you know, the the Liger stuff, I mean it it was the real angle was the next night anyway, but obviously the big thing here was Suzuki and Liger brawling. Uh, you know, I just didn't think there was a lot to this.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, this is probably the least uh, effective match of any of the Liger-Suzuki multi-man tags. Um, it was just kind of boring. And I don't usually, like I know you mentioned the crowd brawling. If it's Liger and Suzuki doing it, I don't mind it at all, generally. But there wasn't anything it, anything to it. It was just basically let's get through this and wait for tomorrow night and let's give a win for Rapongi 3K because I think that'll factor into things going forward too. Yeah, so I only won two stars, just not not very good. Yeah. Uh,
1: the next match was a ten man tag team match to build up uh, the following night's big matches. Uh, the Bullet Club, Kenta, Bad Luck Fale, Yujiro Takahashi, Taiji Ishimori, and El Phantasmo defeating Kota Ibushi, Makabe Honma, and the Birds of Prey, Osprey and Eagles. Uh, Kenta pinned Honma in nine seventeen with the Go to Sleep. Uh, first of all, I mean, this was the debut of Kento's new heel theme song. What'd you think of that? Did you like the uh, heel theme song?
0: I I like the uh, other his other New fan theme song more. Really? Yeah, I really like that song. I I thought that song was okay. This one to me, like, really,
1: it both fits him and fits Bullet Club. I thought so. I liked it, but like, you know, it just feels like somewhere between like an army march and a hip hop song or something. So I thought they kind of really nailed it, but I don't know. It's like a it worked for me as far as like the. It took me two nights to really like get into it, but I, I think it works as a theme song.
0: Generally, I never say even after like two nights that I like the new theme song. So, <laughs> I usually those things take a while on me. Um,
1: the the blonde hair I, love,
0: I thought looked cool, and like
1: yes. that's a that's such a it's a Japanese heel tradition. If people don't know that, if you're listening, like going all the way back to like the I don't know if the eighties or the seventies. I want to say the eighties. I right? think it was
0: Yumanitsuke Ueda was the first one to do it. do you know the year? Uh, I think this might have been in the seventies because this. Was okay, seven. Because he well, it's basically if you remember Toru Yanu in like right. the mid two thousands, that was basically the ripoff of the gimmick, and he at the time had started that in IWE, which was the, oh, like, Russia Kamura's promotion. Right,
1: right, right.
0: So yeah. he was like the big the he was the big heel. You go up against Kamura, yeah. Yeah, and he so, was like the first Japanese heel, and right. then when they went under, I think he ended up in All Japan first. And then might have ended up in New Japan for a bit after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend '70s Japanese wrestling is like a something I'm an expert on, but um, that is interesting. I couldn't, I didn't, wasn't sure if it was like a '70s or '80s thing when the blonde hair thing started, but that basically started a long tradition of like you know when you're Japanese, and you turn heel, you dye your hair blonde because you know it's what the Americans. Well, do.
0: he was the <laughs> only one to do it, I think, for a while. Didn't and they? I... Didn't. What's it what didn't in the 90s? What's the uh, what's it called doing? Oh, I remember like uh, in NWO Japan, like Goto and Ohara, yeah, they dyed their hair blonde, but that's yeah, but it definitely picked up more in the 2000s because remember when Akiyama turned heel, he dyed his hair too. Yeah,
1: I could, I could have sworn there was like another big 90s unit that did it, but maybe I'm thinking of something incorrect. I don't know, but. Whatever, the point is, it's a tradition. I'm like, you know, G- why is GBH have blonde hair? That's basically why, you know, like Makabe and Holm and all them because they were originally heels. Um, but, yeah, so Kenta uh, got the blonde hair going. He pins Holm uh, with the go to sleep. Um, this match was, you know, it was fine. It wasn't, like, the kind of match that I'm, uh, you know, going to call anything that great. I mean, the, the there was, like, a really fun kenta ibushi exchange at one point but it was like maybe 30 seconds so it was over very very quickly um but yeah still you know like a two and a half star match just to, just kind of there uh
0: my highlight was the i guess the hanma and kenta exchange just because that's a novelty to me even though it's happening you know like 15 years too late but whatever
1: <laughs> uh and then we have sonata shingo and bushi against rokada Goto, and Romero for the fourth time of the tour. Um, And this was, sadly, probably the weakest match they've had. Um, You know, it just really wasn't... uh, There was, like, you know, obviously the main thing here was to build up Okada Okada and Sonata along with Shingo and Goto. And, you know, the the Okada-Sonata exchange here just felt very weird. It just felt like both of them had it firmly in half gear. It's really not the kind of thing that's going to build excitement for a title match. So... You know, especially not one that we've already seen three times this year. Um so it just didn't didn't work there at all. I mean Shingo and Goto did, did tag in like right after that and had like a really like cool exchange that made the Okada Sonata like half speed one look even sillier. Um, but then there was like a second Okada Sonata exchange right after that that did look a little better. But that's about it. And then it ended in ten forty with Sonata tapping out Romero with the skull end. So you know, two and three quarters, a little better
0: than average, but nothing that blew me away. Uh, I thought this was more boring because uh, the remember how they had the back-to-back Corkin ones? Yeah. I thought this was more boring than the September 5th one, which I thought was also boring. But uh, I would, yeah, like you said, this is the weakest of the, this, uh, what, this is the third or fourth time on the tour they've done this? Yeah, in this exact six. I know yeah, this is the fourth
1: because they did all three. They did
0: all three. Yeah, they did
1: on all three Corkins. Yeah. And they did the here and then they were going to do it the following night. Yeah. too. So.
0: so in the September 6th is the best one that you should watch, basically.
1: Yeah. We, talk, we talked about that last week. Oh, okay. It's like a, yeah. really cool ten minute, a really cool 10 minute sprint the last the last night of the Corkins. The other ones you can pretty safely skip um then we had Naito and Evil against Jay White and Chase Owens uh Naito pinning Chase and 11-11 with the Destino um so this is interesting because basically the you know the Naito White feud has been the highlight of this tour for me it's been just a lot of fun I don't think it's resulted in a lot of good tag matches though and I think a lot of that is maybe you know Jay White hasn't had the the most exciting partners, especially. You know, he's had mostly Chase and Yujiro and Fale, you know, just kind of the Bullet Club's general depth problem. But you know, this wasn't I mean this wasn't a bad match. I went two and three quarters, but it just wasn't anything that special. Um I mean there was a really early on Naito like put Chase down with like a sleeper immediately immediately, like he was Shibata or something. I just thought that was funny that you don't normally see him do that. Um And then there was like a, you know, a long period where like Naito and White basically they're telling the story how they're trying to, you know, Jay is trying to out-troll Naito and then Jay is trying to show like, oh, I'm Tranquilo too. But then he almost always ends up like losing his cool and and dropping the facade. And, you know, it just ends up being very, it's a very interesting dynamic the two of them have. And, you know, at times it's a very horny dynamic, which I tweeted out and got some guy very upset with me, but I mean, look—they it was a it was a GIF of the two of them spitting at each other, like smiling. What do you want me to tell you? Um, but yeah, there was a there's the after the after Nigel got the pin, he like pretended he was gonna do the fist bump with Gato on the outside, and instead beat the shit out of him, which I was like very into, and then like tossed his big bucket hat into the crowd. Um, I kind of wanted to add half a star just for that, but I can't do that. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a fa- perfectly acceptable match, just not like a great match or anything. Uh,
0: yeah, I i would agree that like this is like a two and three quarters or a three star match, but I think it's also like the exception to the rule because I think somehow with the sort of big dick energy that both uh Naito and, and White are bringing, <laughs> that it's like this rare feud in New Japan where it doesn't matter. The It doesn't matter that much the quality of these sort of like tag matches leading into it because these guys are going to do their shtick and it's going to be massively over and they're going to just like exude like all of this like, you know, energy and like aura and everything. So it's like, I don't really care if it's like a two and a half star match. I just want to see them like spit at each other,
1: you know. I mean, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, it's, it's a really fun feud, even though they just haven't produced any like you know, really outstanding tag matches. Now, I'd, I'd really like to see them deliver something, like, awesome next weekend to really – because I think at the end of the day, if they have, like, a, a four-and-a-half-star match in Kobe for the Intercontinental title, you know, no one's going to care that, like, they their tag matches weren't that that great leading into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, people just remember this is a great feud. So I hope they do, deliver. But even if they don't deliver, it's already it's been a really fun feud, and I've enjoyed it. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be classics, I guess. Then we have the semi final. Speaking of not a classic, <laughs> the Girls of Destiny defeating Yoshihashi and Tomohiro Ishii in 2135. Um, I don't know what to say about this one. First of all, <laughs> why the hell did GOD beat down Tomohiro Ishii to set up a hot tag to Yoshihashi? They beat down Ishii, who, like, you know, probably is one of the best House of Fire baby phases in the world they beat the crap out of him to set up a Yoshi Hashi hot tag where he tags in and does these like slow motion chops as like the, the girls of destiny run by like a a terrible hot tag. I mean, it it didn't help either that HCE like, you know, right before he tagged out, he basically took them both. They were complete jobbers. (laughs) Like he basically just destroyed them both with like back suplexes or something like, You know, like, he had no... Like, it took him no effort at all to do so. And then tagged in Yoshi. And we're supposed to care that, like, he's running wild or whatever. So that didn't work at all. Um, There's, like, no heat for this match at all. Even after... You know, Beppu does not have a rep for having hot crowds. But the crowd was more into the undercard than I've heard them being to a lot of stuff, you know, over the years. And this this match, like, killed them. Um, And then, you know, after that, we finally got, like... A little bit of an interesting finishing stretch you know it, it was fast and it finally had some action but then it also like just felt weirdly all over the place and not in like a good way and you know in a weird way just felt like kind of a bunch of shit happening and then finally we get to the end where ishii counters the super power bomb from the apron you know like they had yoshiashi up on the for the super power bomb and Ishii countered it from the apron which was kind of cool and then immediately we go to the stupid fucking butterfly lock by Yoshi. So, again, even when the match is getting, like, a little entertaining, you know, we immediately go to craft because that, that move is, like, the worst move in wrestling. Um, you know, then the, there was, like, a gun stun counter, which, where, he, like, Yoshi, like, passed him off into a powerbomb by HGE. That was cool. But then we had a fucking distraction finish straight out of fucking WWE, with Kenta getting on the apron, Yoshihashi being like, I've got to go yell at this man for a while, and then getting rolled up by Tamatanga and pinned. So, yeah, uh, this fucking sucked. You know, by the end of it, with between the the terrible finish, the terrible match structure, the fact that it went over 20, 21 minutes, uh, the fact that it killed the crowd, you could go on and on. But I thought this was one of the worst semifinals in recent memory i went for a major new japan show i mean i went one in three quarters
0: uh well i would be i guess maybe a little more generous to that giving <laughs> like a two and a quarter maybe uh it could have trended towards two and a half if uh there had been a, a decent finish because i i do agree that i thought it was getting a little better during uh in the sort of the towards the closing stretch and i don't know who like sort of well, I know they don't like the wrestlers, obviously, have a lot of latitude to lay out their own matches, but clearly someone in the back has to give them like uh or, like time, like on how much you're gonna get for your matches. And it's just kind of boggles my mind sometimes how much uh time that God has given, right? Because they had like a 27-minute like uh World Tag League final against um evil and sonata. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, just I think, I mean, I think it was last year. I mean might have been two years ago, I mean, I just... actually, that wasn't even that bad of a match, <laughs> but it didn't have to go 27 minutes. And there's been other god matches that have just had just mind bogglingly long times, and this was sort of uh, another victim of that. Um, the, the making uh, uh Ishii be the whipping boy again makes no sense. I don't know if you listen to the latest Super J cast, uh, Joel's theory, kayfabe theory, is that Ishii wouldn't trust Yoshihashi to be able to uh, do anything. So he just did it himself <laughs> which is the like only possible even remotely uh idea that makes sense even though that is still ridiculous uh so yeah, yeah. i mean it it might be uh the worst tag title match of uh, iwgp tag heavyweight tag title match this year i know some people hated the one on dominion but i thought this was worse yeah, the Dominion one sucked too, but I think this was probably still worse.
1: Um, I don't know. I can't really think of anything, <laughs> anything worse. I mean, it hasn't been a great year for the for the IWGP Tag Titles, but you know, you could say that for many years. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but, you know, just a just a bad match by a bad team for a bad set of titles. What else are you gonna say? the main event the british heavyweight championship the only thing making this show even remotely worthwhile Zack saber jr defeating hiroshi tanahashi in 2643 with a ground cobra twist to become the new british heavyweight champion ending that epic tanahashi british heavyweight title reign um and the, here's the thing with this i I am, like, the exact opposite of Joe Lancer when it comes to these matches. I could, like, watch them forever. I really don't – I mean, this is, like, a style of match I really enjoy. I really enjoy, you know, mat wrestling and grappling and submissions and all that stuff. I think both of them are really good at it. Tanahashi is, like, a very underrated mat wrestler, and I think everybody knows Zach is very good at it. And they have great chemistry, and I just – I really enjoy watching them wrestle. I think they come up with unique stuff in in pretty much every single match. And, you know, here, like, you know – the The opening 10 minutes wasn't my favorite, you know, of their, of their matches. And if I have any complaint, that's probably added felt a little directionless and it, like, lacked intensity compared to some of the other matches. But then, like, right at the 10-minute mark, they had, like, a really good strike exchange. And then Zach finally started targeting the elbow. And, you know, Tanahashi's selling was really good. Um, and at that point, I think they almost differentiated this one. By making it like faster and a little bit less mat based than all their previous matches, like it just felt like they were on the act on the mat for less time than you know some of their last matches, especially something like Royal Quest. Um, you know, the, there were there were some other cool spots. Like there was Zach at one point, he caught the a baseball slide attempt by Tanahashi, and they turned it into a leg lock like from the floor, which was just a really cool looking spot. Uh, there's a great picture of it on the New Japan site, actually, and you know, then they were like, we got to the 20 minute mark, and you know, they they did finally get back to the mat, and they were trading holds again, and the crowd went, you know, this is not like they're doing mat wrestling. And the crowd is bored. The crowd's going crazy for this mat wrestling when Tanahashi makes the rope, um, and then my only like complaint towards the end was I didn't like the weird cloverleaf uh, variant that Tanahashi tried. Um, you know, he does like a, a, high fly flow to the back. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't just go for the other high fly flow after he pins Zach with that at Royal Quest. Instead he goes for this wacky clover leaf. and, you know, you could kind of make it make sense in your mind and be like, well, maybe he's trying to, you know, turn it into, maybe he wants to show that he could tap out Zach too. Cause I don't think he, he's never tapped out Zach. Cause I think he beat him. Unless he did that when he went to the intercontinental, downtown, I don't remember that. But this year he beat him by like uh, flash pin, and with the high fly flow. I don't think he's ever actually tapped him out. Um, watch, I'm completely wrong. He has actually tapped him out. I don't know, but so he wanted to, like prove he could submit him or something. But I don't know. They didn't really. That's again like a, more of a head cannon thing, but the move itself looked a little awkward too. But then Zach like he gets his he does his counter, um, into the Zach driver, which is really cool, which. But like couldn't make the cover, which made sense because he'd just taken a ton of punishment. And then you know they do a this awesome exchange where they're fighting over the you know the uh, the cobra the cobra twist, you know to to get the submission in, which is the submission that's like historical Inoki submission, which totally makes sense. And then Zach turns it into the ground club cobra twist and gets the pin, which I thought was such a great finish. Came out of nowhere. You know, but at the same time, didn't come out of nowhere in a bad way. Like it came out of nowhere and felt like at like almost felt like well, of course it's how he won. You know, there's so much, you know, hype based around the um, the submissions and stuff, and he just pulls us out of nowhere and gets the belt back that way. So I thought this was awesome. I went four stars on it. Uh, I would say maybe just below the World Quest match for the you know the, the complaints I had, but I I still really enjoyed it and. You know, made the show at least somewhat worthwhile at the end, even though the rest of it was still pretty bad.
0: Yeah, I think this was uh, Royal Quest match was slightly better than this. I would go about four, four and a quarter, maybe. Um, The one thing, yeah, I agree with you. I could watch these two wrestle all the time. I never get bored of them. But the one thing I I sort of mentioned this in the preview is I don't think I've ever gone more than four and a quarter, though, on any of their matches. Like there was never any match to me that this is a match of the year candidate that they've had. They've come close, but I just, I don't know. I might've might gone four and a half on one of them, but for the most part, they always seem to be four, four and a quarter to me too. Uh, like, whereas yeah. I went four and a half for the um, Ibushi, uh zak match from uh, Sengoku Lord. I thought that was just amazing. I did too. And so yeah. it's sort of interesting, like, you know, Saber seems to only be able to peak at certain levels against certain opponents.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, is there anything like coming as far as like in this specific match that like you thought was more or less interesting than the like like the Royal Quest match is a good comparison because it was so recent. Like, is there anything that stands out? Is like that makes it worse than the Royal Quest one?
0: Um, worse like well, like what you said was just the opening ten minutes. However, what I do lot did love about this match was the ending with the sort of. Uh, You know, the Cobra Twist thing, right? And that's sort of like, you know, putting... Yeah, that was so cool. Going, He's trying to uh, bury Strong Style and whatever, that kind of thing. (laughs) It just felt like... Well, to me, it almost felt like, well, you're a hypocrite because you had to go to the Strong Style.
1: But he's a heel. Yeah. So that's great. Be in Fiverr to be a hypocrite. And it almost felt like, you know, like he had to do this thing where he kept saying, oh, Zack style is so much better than strong style. And he has to plot the original strong style move, essentially, to beat Tanahashi. So I thought I, – I almost felt like he was being very hypocritical. But, you know, he's a heel, so that's fine. He can be hypocritical. But, yeah, I I, mar- I really marked out for the finish. I love – you know, people. Longtime listeners will know that I love flash pins in general. So if you do a flash pin, you probably get me to mark out. But I really – I thought it worked right here, so – uh overall, like we said though at the start, not a good show at all. Uh pretty if you haven't, you know, watched it yet, I would say pretty much the main event is the only thing I would consider essential. And then maybe if you want, you can watch the Young Lions Cup matches. Uh any other
0: thoughts on Bepu? Uh no, it's just hopefully one year they uh have a nice top to bottom show because last year it was the uh <laughs> wasn't it uh, NATO versus Suzuki, which was not that good.
1: I liked. I, I was, like, the only person on Earth that liked that night to a Suzuki match. Oh, really? Everybody else hated it. I, I thought the – I mean, the first one I hated, like, everybody else did. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The whatever-the-fuck one. But, you know, during the
0: um Duntaku tour. But the the second one I actually really liked. And I guess but, I was looking – I think this is only technically the only second uh, destruction in Beppu, and I guess I'm going to assume now that this is probably a pretty uh, – going to be a annual event now.
1: Yeah. Well, that leads us then to Destruction in Kagoshima the following night, uh, Monday, September 16th, on the Kagoshima Arena. Uh, the attendance here was a 4,004, no vacancy. Uh, that's a, a, very impressive because it's up more than 500 fans from the previous year, and that show the previous year was not Destruction in Kagoshima. It was a G1 Climax show which typically does really well, you know, compared to, you know, a lesser tour show like this. So they were up over 500. And you can't just say it's like, well, Kota Ibushi in his hometown, because that was also a Kota Ibushi made event. That was Ibushi and Goto. So here you have Ibushi, you know, defending the, the contract against Kenta. It's clear like that, you know, whether it's just New Japan's general momentum or like the idea of seeing... Abushi defend this contract against like a hot a hot new heel. Either way, it worked, and you know they did a they did their best number in Kagoshima, you know maybe ever, definitely in a while. So uh, overall, this is a I thought a much better show than Beppu. Uh, we'll go match by match here, but I, I enjoyed this one quite a lot. What do you think of Kagoshima? Uh,
0: much better match, uh, much better show. I'm sorry, uh, kind of got I kind of got like lost interest a bit. In the middle, but I thought it the last two matches were awesome, and I thought both the young Lions matches were really good. Yes, yeah, so let's get right into that. First of all, Yuya Uemura defeating
1: Clark Connors in 931 with a Boston Crab. Uh Uemura is now one and four, and Connors is now three and two. So this was Uemura's first win. Uh this absolutely ruled. I went three and three quarters. Uh my second favorite match of the Young Lions Cup so far. Just great mat work early. Very physical striking, and then it just built really, really well to the upset finish. I just, I love this thatch. Uh,
0: my favorite match of the tournament so far. I uh, went three and a half on it. Uh, just awesome. is going to be such a star. Uh, there was one point, I think, uh, just the way, like, when Yumura was coming back and firing up at the end and just, like, hitting a bunch of strikes on, uh, on Connors was awesome you could just like he's just really but the one thing is like in both in this tournament i've noticed is that uh and we'll talk about this a bit i'll talk about this a bit in the next match is that like you can see like uh how the they're sort of like working and trying new things as the tournament goes on and looking a little more smoother as it goes on and that's really cool to see especially in such a short time frame
1: yeah and i think you know it almost feels like to me Like, if if these two are like feuding over, you know, the the junior title in a a few years, I won't, I will not be surprised at all. Like, these two and Ren Narita, that could be like the core of the junior division within like two or three years. So, how tall is Yumura? I thought he was the shortest. I think he's right below, he's like a few, at least a few inches shorter than Red Narita, I think. Oh, really? For some reason, I thought he wasn't that short. But so Ren-Narita is 182 centimeters. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what that means in feet. I think it's below 60. That's
0: 60, or 183 Urimura. is six even.
1: Okay. So they're actually not that short. Narita is 182, and then
0: remember is 180. So that's like 5'10". 5, 5, 180. 5, 10. 180. That, that's heavyweight height. Yeah. You could be a heavyweight in New Japan at that, especially if you're good.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think they will start him as a junior. Oh, though. probably I mean, he's small. He's small, enough too. but and then Clark Connors is a one seventy three, so it's probably yeah, going to end up being yeah. junior. Um, after that, we had Ren Narita defeating Michael Richards in seven eighteen with the Narita Special Number Four, which is of course that belly to belly suplex, um, that moved him to four and one and dropped Richards to one and four. Uh, unfortunately, this one, I think we might be... Because you made it sound like you liked both um, Young Lions Cup matches. I didn't like this one at all. I thought it was a very nothing match, just a long headlock, and then Naruto hitting his move out of nowhere and winning. I think I think I have this as my lowest rated Young Lions Cup match. I only went two stars on it. Uh,
0: so I had this at uh, two and three quarters. But what I was going to say about this match, positively anyway, was that I thought that... Uh, this was the first time that I thought like Richards was looking a little better in this one than he has in the other stuff. I'll give him that. Probably because he just had to lay there in a headlock, I think. <laughs>
1: but you never know. Um the third match, Yuji Nagata, Ryusuke Taguchi, Shota Umino, and Yotasuji losing to Manabu Nakanishi, Toa Hanare, Carl Fredericks and Alex Coughlin in nine forty-five with the Toa bottom. Um First of all, I thought there was very amusing continuity in this match where um, the previous night, Nakanishi had minutes to counter the hip attack from Taguchi with the double sledgehammers to the ass, (laughs) basically. And this time, Taguchi was ready for it and like stopped short before he could get the double sledge to the butt. And then he hit uh, Nakanishi with the hip attack. So it's a better callback spot than anything in fucking... Uh, NXT or any of that bullshit. Um, this was a lot of fun, just like the one in Beppu. Um, you know, pretty much, I think it's hard for this not to be fun. I went three and a quarter again.
0: Yeah, I went three and a quarter too. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought Suji looked really good here. Love that drop kick he threw. Uh, when someone like sort of his size throws a drop kick, it, it sort of got that like, oh, that like would actually hurt. Uh, whereas some people's drop kicks look very yeah. light touch type thing. Um, and uh, I yeah. thought uh, Hanari looked good here too. Uh, I don't know. Um, do you think that means anything that he's uh, starting to pick up some wins? I don't know. I they, they always had a pin
1: young line, so I, probably not, but it's a very I, I feel like Hanari will be one of these guys that everybody's gonna think is gonna get pushed forever, and you know, the most push you ever get is like a David Finley push where he pins low card people and right you know where the fuck is David Finley It's a good question. Yeah. But anyway, I think somebody actually asked that in the mailbag. We'll get to that. Um match number four Ishii Yoshihashi and Rapungi 3K beating uh Bullet Club, Gorilla of Destiny, Bad Luck Folly, and Chase Owens. 651, yo pinning Tamatanga with an inside cradle. This was the probably the biggest shock of the night, honestly. Um First of all, you know, they. I think this is very smart on New Japan's part because, like, you have Repunky 3K who's doing nothing. I mean, they're not in the junior tag title mix right now. And you have a heavyweight tag team that's very stagnant and just, you know, doesn't have any big contenders on, on the horizon. So, like, why not match these two teams up, you know? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think Repunky 3K is going to win, nor do I think they should win because it would be really, really early for them to – graduate to heavyweight, especially when, you know, you'd think they would have like singles junior careers ahead of them before they even bother, you know, going to heavyweight. But, you know, I think it's a good, it could be a good defense for like fighting spirit unleashed or I don't know for power struggle or something. So I think it's a cool idea and a good way to get the gorillas another defense before tag league without doing like, I don't know, another Ishii and chaos member tag team match so i i went three stars this was this was you know i thought it was pretty fun before the, even before the the shock finish and you know good 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 call here i'm excited for that Rapunky 3k G- i mean excited
0: might be a little too strong
1: you know I, I think it'll be okay basically it could be good let's say
0: um i went two and three quarters um you know for what it was it was a pretty quick match uh yeah i think it will be good i like the match that they had in dallas uh that opened uh the G1 show uh, I thought that was really good although yeah, I thought, pretty good. that was pretty short too wasn't that like only seven or eight minutes but
1: yeah uh, it did definitely go although
0: I suppose you could also argue that why bother even having booked that if this was the plan all along but uh whatever um yeah uh, i am looking forward to the match <laughs> <It wasn't. laughs> they probably, yeah well i mean this is why i think you mentioned i didn't even think of it but you mentioned fighting spirit unleashed this would be the perfect kind of uh match for that since a they already did in the states and um you know i i almost think americans might take yeah. a junior team versus a heavyweight team more seriously than um uh, than japanese people uh because you always hear like you know i was just thinking of like you know people speculating on podcasts going into the g1 like think about how many people i don't know what japanese fans were saying but think about how many american fans were like will is gonna get 10 points will is gonna pin okada that's not how booking in new japan yeah. has ever worked uh between when it comes yeah. to uh, juniors and heavyweights you know can will osprey pin okada one day yes he will but that will be once he's moved up for heavyweight for some time but the idea that he was going to get a goal like finish the 10 or 12 points was always like i feel like sort of like you know north american fans sort of totally not getting how new japan books juniors versus heavyweights
1: he had eight points but I guess that's not that's I predicted
0: him to have six just like <laughs> given given new Japan's history of putting six was like I think most juniors that had ever been in before had only gotten like four so. yeah i don't I don't really blame people for having that because at least he had been
1: never champion already and like beaten heavyweights so it kind of sort of made sense but at the same time yeah I mean i I, I thought he would always set to have his biggest one be the the win over Tanahashi, which, you know, and did end up happening. Um, after that, we had match number five. So Tanahashi, Makabe, Honma, and Jushin Liger defeating Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, Kanemaru, and Doki uh, 922 by disqualification, because this is where we got the big angle where Suzuki unmasked Jushin Liger. Uh, it was a wild, wild scene after we ripped that mask off, and... You know, Liger ended up covered in towels and on the microphone screaming at Suzuki. So, I this is where I thought like they can't be saving this for the dome because it almost feels like too much if they're saving it all the way to the dome. But maybe they are. Who the fuck knows? Um, but I just got to read like okay, this is gonna happen like King of Pro Wrestling or you know, Power Struggle or something. Like there's no way they can go all the way to the dome with this when they're pulling off the mask and you know, trying to kill each other in, in mid-September. But, you know, I guess Stranger Things have happened. Um, I thought this was pretty fun while it lasted, you know, better than the Beppu match, like pretty much everything else in the show. Uh, and the angle at the end was, like, really great. The the crowd seemed, like, legit shocked and appalled. Like, they weren't even really booing. They were just like, how dare they, basically. So I thought that was great. Um,
0: but, yeah, I went three stars. Good match with a great angle. Uh, Three and a quarter stars for me. Uh, I think we have a bit of an opposite view because in the preview, I wrote like, you know, I I enjoy this feud. I enjoy watching them brawl, but I don't really see how they can tease this out to Wrestle Kingdom. But they just like, the whole angle after the match was one of the best angles of the year. um, I thought Um, they just kicked it up a notch. And if they wanted to drag this out to Wrestle Kingdom now, I think they could do it, which is not something I thought before the show. Mm. Well, maybe they will. Who knows?
1: I just kind of felt like I don't know, I guess there are two nights. It just doesn't it feel like a weird retirement match for Liker?
0: Uh I think it, it is sort of weird. I figured like he would have some like multi-man tag, they might bring back some old guys or something. Um yeah, because yeah. he's not winning and even if they have that like not not only is he not winning, but Suzuki's going to beat the shit out of him. So I don't know if that's necessarily the sort of image you want in liger's yeah. last match, right? But if if if, if they did this on January fourth and like a farewell tag match on the fifth, I don't know. But it just seems like they're. But like the way that they've escalated, almost feels like. Well, if they're not going to do it in the dome, and and I don't think it's going to be a King of Pro Wrestling, then when are they going to do it? Yeah, I mean you could be right. I mean it could be. I mean you. It
1: could be power struggle, I guess. But you know I don't know. I mean
0: I, I, I mean. If you put this for Power Struggle, you could literally probably sell out Eddie on Arena 1 just off of this match. Yeah, probably. And you didn't need anything else, right? Because last year's Power Struggle, wasn't it just Jericho Evil one match show? Yeah,
1: Air Zack semi-main. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, if they wanted to make this the main event or the semi-main event of Power Struggle, you could get away with not booking anything else. Yeah.
1: Uh, match number six Okada, Goto, and Rocky Romero defeating Sonata, Shingo, and Bushi. The fifth and final meeting between these two trios on this tour uh, Okada, Pin Bushi, and 1008 with the Rainmaker. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Mr. Juicy, uh, Mr. Juicy, Gino Gambino, before the show or before the match, because they had a really funny exchange with him and Rocky Romero that that just made me laugh because, like, I don't remember what the fuck Rocky said to him. Rocky just said, like, you know, I think he was, like, talking shit because rapunky 3K pinned The Girls of Destiny. And, you know, he got, got this big, long rant about how much Gino and the Bull Club sucks. And then afterwards, he just says, you can't talk to me like that! <laughs> like, he just sounds so, like, upset and outraged. And Kevin Kelly's like, well, he just did, buddy. <laughs> so... But I think like Gino, he's really really coming to his own as a heel commentator. And, you know, what he gets that I guess, you know, fucking Corey Graves and other people in modern wrestling don't get is that a heel commentator, to be entertaining and for you not to absolutely like want to rip your fucking ears out listening to them, they have to be a clown to at least some extent. You know, like you have to want to laugh at them sometimes even more than you laugh with them. You know, like, like fucking Bobby the Brady he was a clown. You know, Jerry the King Lawler was a clown. I mean, these people were fucking clowns. And, like, you know, they have that lovable clown aspect to them, but they were clowns. So, you know, Corey Graves is not a clown. Corey Graves is just, like, you know, I don't know, shouting buzzwords in your ear on, like, you know, basically he's just angry the entire night.
0: I mean, I have watched every day in a while, so maybe he's great now. It's the same. Corey Graves is the same. <laughs> I'm glad for. Ger- Ger- I've, I've watched in the last six weeks. I'll say that, right? So,
1: Gerard here to report. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just like he's just so angry the entire show. And like, you know, Gino, he's you know, he's funny sometimes. He gets shown up sometimes. You know, even Kevin Kelly makes fun of him sometimes. And he also just like fucking pulls back and you know calls the matches a little bit. Like he doesn't have to be like. You know, you're know, super on the entire night. So, shout out to Gino. If by any random chance he happens to listen to this, you're a you've turned to a very good
0: commentator, Mister Juicy. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned like the clown stuff and compared him to Heenan because I also see a little bit of Jesse Ventura in him. Yeah, um, like in terms of like he calls the action and then he's like takes a side to the heels, but sometimes he offers like you know uh, more like unbiased analysis and and when it calls for it in that so that sort of reminds me of uh, ventura yeah and
1: ventura could be a little bit of a clown too so yeah. it works i mean it's just like i don't know like the whenever i watch the WWE show it's just like why is Corey graves so angry
0: well because he well and he's also desperate to like also like make dunks on his other like uh
1: commentators. yeah it's like you'll be you'll be like watching the match and all of a sudden coming like Michael Cole, you fucking idiot. And it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have to say the F word, but the general step <laughs> it just felt feels like he gets so fucking like worked up. And it's like, can you please stop screaming at me? I'm just trying to watch <laughs> Monday Night Raw. Uh match number six. Uh, well, I just I guess I already entered it. But yeah, this is a good match. Um one big issue. You know, here, again, was like the Okada-Sonata pairing just really had no juice uh, again here. And, you know, that's not good for AK, a King of Pro Wrestling main event. And, again, this is coming from somebody who's, who usually really likes Sonata and has liked two out of the three matches. Although, you know, the one I didn't like was the, the other title match. So maybe that's not a good omen. But yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like there's anything like there as far as like excitement. Maybe you know they, they have more time than most of these other feuds. So maybe you know King of Pro Wrestling, uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed, and uh, you know even the those New Japan Road shows they'll get more time to like really develop something. And there is a development in the main event where you know going forward you're going to have this element of like Okada and Ibushi against Evil and Sonata. Where that could finally bring some juice and in, juice into it, because right now it just feels like, you know, there's not much there. But where there is a lot of juice is Gotō and Shingo, and they were awesome here, and they really like tore it up with these, you know, these they're an awesome lariat exchange here, and they just beat the crap out of each other. So I ended up going three and a quarter, kind of in between. You know, Okazinata wasn't really anything, but
0: Gotō Shingo was really good. Uh, I went three here. Um... Yeah, it was what it was. I did really like the Shingo and uh, Goto exchanges. I think as for uh, Okada and Sonata, um, like I know that they're obviously going to face themselves each other in a bunch of multi mans on this tour, but you don't have to have exact the exact same six man tag like five times on a tour. Like mix it up a bit more than that.
1: I think the problem was like Naito and Evil always for teaming. I don't know. I mean, I guess I could have mixed evil and, and the only people that could have mixed was evil and bushy basically. So I guess that was the difficulty. We only have a five man unit, but even some like Anderson
0: ten man's, you know, would be great. Like because those are always well,
1: you different. couldn't do, well, you couldn't do it because night and White had to be oh right Night and yeah, Jay White had yeah. to be paired up. Yeah, right. So that was like, I guess, the difficulty. Uh, and then we have, speaking of Naito and Jay White, Naito and Evil defeating Jay White and Yujiro in 1150, Evil pinning uh, the Tokyo pimp with the Evil. Um, you know, this was, like, another one where, like, the match itself was kind of just, like, there, and I went two three quarters. But the angle stuff was good. Um, you know, it starts out with Night and Evil. Like, they're ready. I, I basically joke that they're ready for the Bullet Club sneak attack because they too are jerks. So it's like they were like very ready for to get jumped by their opponents. Um, you know, the, the big thing at the end was Jay White doing, uh, again, I have to give my girlfriend, Nicole, a shout out for saying this. She, whenever she says, she, she sees Jay White do this. She's like, Jay White's basically being like, I'm baby. Cause he like collapses to the mat and like refuses to move and refuses to get up. So he's basically doing like I'm baby, pick baby up. <laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, it, that's basically he did the same thing against Okada and uh, MSG, and he's done it a few other times. But that was his big counter for the desk. You know, he just like collapsed to the mat and refused to move. And then that was in the the post match. He low blowed Naito, and laid him out. So I as the last angle that makes me that kind of makes me feel like naito is winning in kobe it just feels like you know maybe it's maybe i'm like again being too wwe about it but it feels like well jay white did the the baby counter basically and now naito will find a way to get around the baby counter in kobe and retain the title but we'll see um but yeah i mean like not a not a bad match at all and again continued the naito jay white feud, which has been enjoyable
0: uh i went a little higher with than you I went three and a quarter I don't know I just like you Jiro in these these sort of situations because you don't get to see it uh very often um and yeah uh as for like is white winning I mean I don't think they would book this match if white wasn't winning because especially given how protected white is like having him lose an IC title match to to Naito then what happens to him what does he do for the net like what does he do he sits around and probably does nothing until Wrestle Kingdom, I and mean, he'd have to find a new feud for that. So, yeah, it just seems to me I'm pre- I'm still pretty confident that White's winning uh, next week. Yeah, uh, I mean,
1: we'll see. I guess. I mean, look, the other, the other theory I've seen, and we've we totally fucking forgot to mention this. I mean, really, my fault. Since it's my show. So at the end of <laughs> Destruction and Beppu, uh, after Zach Saber Jr. retained the British Heavyweight title, he suddenly like tried to get into the, the mix, the double title mix, where he's saying, you know, well, you know, all these people are talking about double title. I want to be a triple crown champion. I think he said the first ever triple crown champion. And it's like, bro, there's a whole promotion when they have a triple crown title. But anyway, and he said he wants to be the first ever triple crown champion, British heavyweight, and IWCP heavyweight and intercontinental. And he promised to throw the intercontinental title in the bin which makes me think the IC is the one who's going to target it first. So, I mean, that's another one who, I mean, that could be, um, he could be the guy, you know, for the dome. I mean, it could be NATO and Zack Sabre Jr. for the Intercontinental on the first night, and then maybe the second night, you know, is the winner of that. But, I mean, you know, it could be Hannah, it could be Moxley, who has a pin over NATO. I mean, I think there are other options. As far as what Jay White would do then, um, Maybe Jay White goes back and you know circles back to the United States title. Because, you know, you know, that might not sound super exciting to Jay White fans right away, but if he, you know, if Juice Robinson wins the US title back from Moxley, he'll need an opponent for the dome because they're doing, you know, Juice Moxley so early now. Maybe, you know, this way Jay White walks out of Wrestle Kingdom as the number two champion in the company because if you're going to have a double heavyweight Intercontinental champion, the U S title will be the next belt down, you know? So I don't know. It's just, just an idea. I mean, it could be, it could be a thing where like, you know, I'm just reading too much into it and Jay White gets either wins next week or it just gets into the, the dome against Naito again anyway.
0: But I just, have, I have a weird feeling Naito's running. Who knows? Yeah. Um, because I, I think, like yeah. I, I know, maybe Zach could have just been trying to push the sort of idea along. Because I don't know, I don't really like get trying to make it more convoluted. Like I think, just having White, Naito, Ibushi, Okada, like those four doing having title match on night one, and then the winners meet night two. I wouldn't go more complex than that, but I don't know. I mean, it could it could also be a thing
1: like where. You know, White is going to face somebody a power struggle to for their right to go to the Wrestle Kingdom or something, or even challenge the other continent. On well,
0: well, see, I could see Zack and Naito having that sort of number one contenders for the IC title thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he just said it just to say it. I think they will they will going to do something. I yeah. would we'll say. Uh, then we have the IWGP Junior Tag Team Titles, uh, Al Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defeating the Birds of Prey. Uh, Fantasmo pinning Eagles in 2310 with the CR2. A little surprising because you and I were on the, the destruction in uh, Kagoshima preview together. I think we both picked a title change here. Yep, I did. So, were you surprised to see uh,
0: Phantasmo and Taiji get the pin here? Yeah, especially since I kind of suspect that ELP is beating Will at King of Pro Wrestling, but maybe I'll have to uh, revise that prediction after this
1: yeah well, i mean i did I, I think i said that in my preview i was like if if they fail or win the titles here i would think maybe ELP is not winning the giant well cuz
0: i i know you talked about the whole idea like hiromu comes back as conquering hero to to beat uh uh el fantasma but like think about the money match that is osprey versus hiromu that's true so that yeah i mean that, that could be i
1: just kind of i guess i had it in my head. Osprey will definitely be a heavyweight by the dome. Yeah. That could I, I mean, I thought bigger. that too.
0: Right. So, yeah.
1: but that could almost be like a big enough match to keep him junior through the dome yeah, for sure. And then maybe he loses- it's the only maybe one. Loses- if They're not
0: do like, if they're going to do like, I don't know, Osprey versus any other junior at the dome. No, nah, no, I'd rather him just go heavyweight, but Hiromo, Yes, absolutely. As far as this match itself,
1: um, i didn't dislike it but i think probably most other people would have it higher than me um i only went three and a half stars and it looks like i got grapple the average is about 4.21 so i guess it doesn't surprise me a lot of people seem to enjoy these types of matches more than i did the the big problem i thought was like um you know first of all early on it, I just didn't – I wasn't feeling it super, you know, super well early on. There was, like, one, like, Osprey ELP reversal sequence that went, like, probably in 30 seconds but just felt like it was going 30 years with, like, the two of them reversing each other's moves and not doing anything. Just felt really stupid. Um, and then they, they hit, like, a run where I thought they – you know, it's like the, the wrestling equivalent of your eyes being big in their stomach. Like, everything looked way cooler in their head than it did – You know, in actuality, I thought, like, there was one spot where, you know, Eagles was supposed to do a springboard run on Ishimori while he's up on ELP's shoulders, and they fucked it up, but managed to make it not be a complete disaster, but it just looked really awkward. Um, There's another one where they were, you know, ELP was supposed to do a double sunset flip powerbomb with the top rope, and they were both supposed to, like, land on their feet. But Eagles clearly did not land on the feet at all. Like, basically, you know, dropped to one knee and had to get back up and just look kind of stupid. Um, It seemed like, you know, I think there was at least one other spot like that where it's like, you know, it, it was like a, they were trying for this like big, impressive spot fest, especially early on. And it just felt like not everything was clicking to make it like an, you know, an all time great match or anything like that, or even like a really, really good match. Um, you know, there was some cool stuff towards the end, like the, the Ron Miller special getting broken up by ELP, hitting the death fire driver, like on Osprey into Eagles. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, there was like a big moonsault over the guardrail by ELP. That was pretty awesome. And then he and Eagles had like a pretty good exchange back in the ring after that. So I did think it got better once they finally stopped like half botching over complicated team spots, but like it just didn't hit like this, a, a truly great match level for me. So you know, um, I like that the ending felt very definitive, too, because that really made ELP feel like a big threat for the Junior's title. But, you know, it just, like they, they basically just beat the crap out of Eagles. They gave him a couple, like, double-team uh, bloody crosses, and then ELP hit the CR, two and just pinned him. So, you know, very definitive. I think there was, like, a belt shot before that, but still pretty definitive. Uh, but, yeah, I only went three and a half on it. I didn't, I didn't love it, you know, but the end was good enough to me to cape it from being, like, a complete disaster or anything like that
0: uh, i love a good spot fast i went four and a quarter um also i'm currently slowly making my way through the super j cup and so i think one reason that i actually really did like this match is because i compare uh el Fantasmo here to uh his the way he was in the what i've seen of him so far in the j cup and they did a much better job of uh keeping his goofiness in check i know that like Yeah, he was still going for all sorts of crazy spots, somewhat botchy, but like just in terms of doing crappy heel work that I think he does a lot of the time, that wasn't as, um, you know, uh, such a big issue for me in this match. So I will give them points for keeping ELP in line. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have no problem uh, with a spot fest like this, and I really liked it.
1: Uh, then the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship right-to-challenge contract, Kota Ibushi defeating Kenta in 26-23 with the Kami, uh, Kamigoe to retain the contract. Opinions on this one have been really all over the place, but I think I am the high person on it as far as what I've seen so far. Um, you know, I've seen some people say this was pretty bad. You know, I know uh, what's his name over at the uh, F411 uh, Larry Sanka, he gave it a very low rating, and the the ratings if I'm looking on Grapple are really all over the place. I absolutely loved this match. I thought this was like a fucking awesome match, and this is like like some other matches. I I almost didn't even know. Um, it reminded me a lot of Naito Taichi, I guess, from New Beginning, which was another match that people really, some people really hated. Where like, but when it was over, it it didn't really even enter my mind that it would be controversial to say the match was awesome. So. I was pretty stunned by the reaction. When I think about it more, I can understand because, you know, it was a slower match than people might be used to for a New Japan main event. So, you know, some people really are adverse to slow matches, apparently, as I'm learning this year. But I thought this was really good. Um, You know, first of all, Ibushi comes in the ring. Kenta blasts him with that big boot. Like, as soon as he makes it into the ring, he nails him with the briefcase. And then he takes the briefcase and fucking stomps on it, which is like... He looks like the biggest badass heel in the world. That was a great way to start it. Uh, They do, like, again, you know, calling back, you know, almost like a comparison to Naito Taichi. They do that long, like, check on the guy angle, which I know really, really annoyed people at Naito Taichi. I don't know if it annoyed people as much here, but, you know, it was much shorter here, so maybe not. But, like, from a storyline standpoint, it makes no fucking sense for Red Shoes to go, oh, you attacked this man illegally before before the bell could ring and you beat him with a foreign object and yes ring the bell okay start the match it's like no that makes no sense i mean of course they would check the guy and not start the match if they don't feel he can compete you know it's ibushi and then naito in that match being like dumb baby faces and like you know pride having to like pridefully having to go through the match but of course they should check the guy and like you know, do a, an angle where, like, you know, it's not clear if they're going to actually wrestle. You know, like, it makes no sense to, you know, just start a fucking match, which, you know, that's not even, a. a I can't even call that a WWE trope, because you've seen that, you know, everywhere in wrestling. It just it doesn't make any sense to reward reward the heel for <laughs> his illegal pre-match attack. It doesn't, you know, make any sense. Um, but, yeah, when the, the match actually started, I just saw Kenta as a heel, like, really came to his own here. You know, he's sitting on the top rope. He's mock clapping for Abushi while Ibushi's being counted out, which was great. And then when Abushi gets back in the ring, he, like, immediately tosses him back out and just beats the shit out of him some more. Um, you know, I just remember thinking, I saw some Hideo Otami heel matches. I don't remember him ever being this comfortable with his heel mannerisms. I remember him looking okay sometimes, even having some really good matches. But this is the most comfortable I've ever seen him as a heel. Um... You know, at one point, you know, Kenta works on Abushi's leg for a while. Um, Abushi makes a little bit of a comeback. He does the Shibata corner drop kick, but Kenta just fucking shrugs it off because Abushi's leg is so fucked up, he can't get any real power behind it. And the drop kick, you know, wasn't was like a weak drop kick. So I thought that was like a great psychology spot. And then Kenta immediately wipes him out with his own Shibata drop kick. Um he does like a a JY-esque drop down to try to avoid the Bomb AA, but that also ends up distracting the rest of could run in. Kota uh, takes them both out really quick with the double flip kick. Um, they came back, and they, they get the magic killer on Coda. They went for the super power bomb, but then Yoshi and Ishii ran out to take them out. So, you know, to me, the interference here could have been a lot worse, if anything. Uh, I still took off a little bit for it, but you'll see when I get to the ring. I just loved it that much. Um, then there was, like, another, you know a really sick strike exchange, including that, that great counter slap by Kenta. You know, the, the striking throughout this entire match is awesome, just like the Dallas one. Um, he tries to beat Ibushi with his own fucking move, which, again, such a great heel move. But then, you know, Kota, like, kicks out of that. He catches his knee on the uh, on the go to sleep. He hits, like, this awesome, like, pump-up knee strike. And then hits the Kamigoe, Kenta kicks out, and he has to hit another Goe to get the pin. I went four and a half stars on this. I know to some people that might sound crazy, I fucking love this match. I might have even gone higher without the G.O.D. run-in. So I just, I thought this was fucking awesome. I thought Kenta was just, like, came into his own as a heel here. He looked great. You know, Kota Ibushi is, you know, he's Kota Ibushi. He's having an incredible year anyway, but, like, you know, has yet another awesome match here. His selling was awesome. You know, he really made you, like, feel for this match. The crowd was going nuts. I mean, this is what I fucking love about professional wrestling.
0: Four and a half stars. Uh, Gerard, either you agree or disagree, I guess. Go ahead. Uh, my take, uh, John, fuck the haters. This was a four and a half star match. Yes. Uh, I also flirted with going four and three quarters. Uh, but I I couldn't in good conscience after I thought about it for a little longer. It was like my gut and some of the, the interference. right the interference, it was the run-in, although the yeah. run-in wasn't even that bad by how bad Bullet Club run-ins could be. Um, I have a very, very short attention span. I do not like slow matches, This, but but if you're going to be – but there's a difference to me, like um, – and I think of this – we might talk about this later with Suwama. There's slow and then there's methodical, and it can keep my attention if it's being done well. And like the match, their match in Dallas, like Kenta beating the crap out of Abushi um, and working, especially limb work, that can keep my attention for like a match that is almost half an hour. So I thought this was amazing. What'd you give the Dallas one, by the way? Four and a quarter. That's exactly what I gave it to. Okay. So we, bo- we both like both these matches, which are both very controversial. So you know. I, I mean, I, I almost can see, I mean, I think I could see why Dallas would be even more controversial uh this one was like yeah no like i was shocked like when i heard people were saying that this is being contentious like i was like no this was far and away like you know um, a better match um so yeah i don't know i don't get it i really don't i can see it sometimes why like you know i like a match more than others or why i even don't like a match more than others but this one has me scratching my head because i thought this was awesome yeah,
1: I mean this. I mean this is again. This is like I, I just mentioned it before. This is like the second time this year where I i saw I watched a match. You know, I felt a certain way at the end, and then I checked online and like, you know, I'm glad I didn't read reactions before I came up to my own opinion because like the same thing with Naito and taichi in February. I'm just like, to me, at the end of the match, like there was no question. This was like at least a four and a half star match. Like I was flirting with higher. So like to find out people hated it, I'm just like a lot of people hated it. I was very, very surprised. Like people going like four flat or four and a quarter, you know, that I totally understand. Cause you know, it's a little slower, you know, it might not, you know, I expected I would be like the high one on this one. Like if you had told me you gave it four flat, you know, it wouldn't have stunned me at all. But like finding out like people, I think Larry Sanka gave it like one star or something. I'm just like, how did people hate this match so much? It was like so clearly good. So I don't know. It was very, it was like one of those reminders, I guess, that people watch different watch wrestling for different things. You know, Larry specifically is one of these types that really loves those, you know, like takeover main events that I just couldn't right, give less yeah. of a shit about. So, you know, maybe just like that, it, it's just people who like different things in wrestling. Um, but overall, great fucking match. Uh, I would I'm calling this a great show is too far, but it's a good show and certainly a
0: lot better than Babu. Um, I think you should. Anyone should go out there that hasn't seen it and at least watch the uh, top two matches and uh, find someone to argue with uh, over them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Go go online and do some arguing. Uh, before we wrap up New Japan, let's quickly talk Destruction in Kobe. Uh, that is, you know, about five days from now, Sunday, uh, January or Sunday, January Sunday, September twenty second. The main event for the IWGP Intercontinental Title to see a Naito against Jay White. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about this already, but I I think I'm now leaning towards Naito winning. But it's one of these matches where neither result would be shocking. Like I'm not I'm not going in thinking you know Naito's definitely winning or White is definitely winning. So you know any match like that I'm always going to really be up for where i don't know i don't feel like i know the winner when the bell rings so that's always going to be you know as long as i can stand spoiled especially um you know that that always adds an element to it where i'm like okay i really don't have any idea for sure who's going to win this you know neither result would surprise me so i'm excited for this i i only went three and three quarters on their g1 match i think they can top it we'll see what do you think about nato and jay
0: white um my gut still says J, although uh, obviously I have a little more doubt than I did a week ago. Um, but I just think uh, beating uh, Naito down and you know making him go as low as possible and then having him rise back up is the most compelling uh, story to do.
1: Uh, Shingo and Gotō is a semifinal. This should be a really good semifinal. I mean they they killed it back at the G one on the B block final day and i'm sure they'll get time here and their exchanges will look great so you know i'm really excited for this one as well um i you know again i could see this one going either way but i, I my gut says they give goto his win back and you know they even though shingo is very over and very exciting as a heavyweight it feels like they're going to pump the brakes on him a little bit here to not you know to not get him like too far ahead of himself and you know maybe cool him down before they build him back up for like a big match of the dome Whereas like Goto, I could see winning this and like transitioning over to like, you know, a never title shot or like a U.S. title shot after King of War Wrestling. So,
0: Yeah, I'm Goto. Um, think? I think uh, what's going to happen is he is, if Shibata is not wrestling on January 4th or 5th, then he's facing Kenta in the Dome. But if Shibata is going to wrestle, then I think Goto is facing Kenta for the never title sometime before January. Yeah, maybe
1: power struggle probably,
0: uh, and then the 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 two matches right below that they
1: they like, uh, you know, they messed with the the lineup a little bit since now we have the, the Punky three k against Girls of Destiny feud, and Evil uh, we we again failed to mention the post match oops, uh, Evil came out to challenge Ibushi, I and mean, that was really funny where like if you watch the promos Evil was like. He kept saying, you know, oh, I have a cryptic challenge. I'm going to do something. I want the title more than anybody. It's like, buddy, we remember that you're the only other guy that beat Kota in the G1. We, we know you're going to challenge Kota. It's fine. You don't have to be like, but he's spooky, man. So to be cryptic about it. It's just kind of funny. But yeah, he came out at the end of the Kagoshima show and challenged Kota. So now you have a cool little dynamic where like Okada and Ibushi are teaming up here, even though they're currently scheduled to face face each other in the main event of January 4th. So it'll be Okada, Ibushi and Robbie Eagles against Sonata, Evil, and Bushi. Uh so that you know mixes things up here a little bit. And you know, maybe the the addition of Ibushi and Evil to the dynamic, maybe we'll even give Okada and Sonata some much needed like interest. Um you know I thought I thought for all along that maybe they'll announce when they announce the Fighting Spirit on these cards, maybe we'll get the straight up two versus two main event for either New York City or or uh, the the Boston show since we can't have a – Okada's not gonna be affiliated. So Did affiliate. we get a reason for that yet? No, I haven't heard a reason. But so it's, it's gonna be so Okada. Strange. It is very strange. Okada and Ibushi against the Not an evil. I think that will happen at either uh Boston or New York, so we'll see. But in the meantime there are a six man tag here. Uh, and the other match they changed up was Ishii, Yoshihashi uh, Will Ospreay and Punky 3K against Kenta, God, uh, Taiji, and Phantasmo. Um, maybe Ishii gets into it with Kenta here too, because you could do a never title match since he got screwed out of the never title royal quest. So maybe you could do that for Fighting Spirit Unleashed as well.
0: Well, I think everyone wants to see that match again uh, without a concussion or uh, getting <laughs> yeah. you know, basically right what that could have been, right? Yeah. So maybe that'll
1: be they'll get into it here on the book that for you know the U.S. tour. Uh, the only other thing i note on the show is the the end of the Young Lions Cup, uh, Ren Narita and Clark Connors, and the match I think everybody assumes will come down to, because we still got to see what happens in the the last three nights here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Road But Shota Umino and Carl Fredericks. Uh, do you have any prediction on the Young Lions Cup? I, I feel like it's going to be Shota. I just feel like they're going to give him the win and send him off on excursion. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I could see it being Carl still, we'll
0: say. Uh, I think it's Shota. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be Carl. But I I say I'm 70-30 confident that it's going to be Shota, you know. And then, yeah, they'll probably send him off on an excursion. But I think the one crazy thing about Shota going off in, to his excursion is if, he, if they send him to the States, he's, he'll be an immediate draw on all the whatever, wherever he works. Which is not the case with other young lions, right? But everyone's going to want to see Shooter,
1: yeah. So, and he got he definitely got over doing that gimmick. So, uh, you know, he would be he'd probably be
0: like Ring of Honor's most over wrestler at this point, Oh, for there. sure, he would be right because he's, <laughs> he, he's, he's 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 sort of coasting off of his association with a wrestler in another company. <laughs> uh but yeah so there we go that's destruction in kobe the
1: end of the destruction tour uh if that delivers and you get two out of three good shows you have to call it a success because this tour has a very low bar all right let's move over to some all japan for wrestling now uh we're going to talk about the seventh odo tournament the single elimination tournament uh that happens every year in all japan so the first round took place over this past over the past three nights uh so let's talk about it as two matches each on the first two shows and then four matches on koriken uh began in the sanjo city sakai gymnasium uh, on september 14th um i'm gonna let you start each one especially since you're our all japan expert here so september 14th the first first round match naoya nomura defeating sam adonis in 1541 uh what'd you think of this one
0: Uh, uh, we had a brief words about this in the voice of wrestling slack. Uh, You are not a fan. Uh, I gave this the uh, gentlemen's three. I thought it started off fine. I thought it finished fine. Lost me in the middle. Uh, I was actually had uh, strangely enough, higher expectations for this match because I thought the, the match between these two in the champion carnival was uh, the best Sam Adonis match in the champion carnival. And I thought, like, I'm not going to say Sam Adonis is a super worker or anything, but he's a perfectly acceptable wrestler, and th- that could have a decent, like, three, three-and-a-half-star match in the ring with the right opponent. Um, but this just didn't quite hit it. I didn't think it was that bad, but uh, below my expectations in the end.
1: Yeah, I thought it just started very pedestrian to me, like, with the mat wrestling, just not, not interesting mat wrestling. Uh, I just thought it was very slow and boring. Um, at one point, Nomura hit like a very unexplosive spear, uh, and that was like right around the 15 minute mark. I just kind of wanted it to be over. And then Nomura finally won with a Death Valley driver after Adonis kicked out of a top rope splash. I only went two stars on it. I just didn't care for it. Uh, after that, we heads to Wama. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to say uh, so that uh, so Nomura is now doing this spot where he does the spear and then follows it immediately with like sort of like a jackknife hold and he, when he's doing the spears in that move like they don't look very convincing whereas before yeah. he was like doing these like full-blown spears that looked awesome but like the whole like spear into the jackknife combo I wish he'd drop it because it doesn't look very like powerful mm-hmm. uh, after that we have the main event with Jake
1: Lee beating Suama in twenty two forty two with the backdrop suplex what do you got on this one Forrest us Gerard uh
0: I went three and uh three quarters um I thought this was pretty good. It held my attention. Like I was saying before, like good methodical work, even if it's not super fast, holds my attention. Suwama, when he's working someone over, can hold my attention. Uh, I thought about going higher, but I just didn't like the format of this match. It was Suwama beating Jake Lee, and he did a good job of it for like, I don't know, 18. I think this match went like 22 minutes, like maybe like. 17 18 of the first minute couple of minutes the last couple of minutes were great couple of exchanges between uh Lee and Suwama but like it was literally a one-sided match it was a sp- important match because this is Jake Lee's first singles victory over Suwama but it just felt like Jake Lee who you're trying to position as someone moving up the the card someone who went toe to toe with miahara in the champion carnival finals in a back and forth match basically almost pulled out not quite like didn't seem like a total fluke but this match was way too one-sided for what they should be trying to do with jake lee
1: yeah i i thought this was I, i had the exact same rating as you did i went three and three quarters um you know the i just thought it was very slow early which you know was a big probably my big complaint um you know, at, at the point where Suwama was like trying to choke him out when he was draped over the ropes, I just thought it was still dull. Uh, it was a lot like you had a lot of Suwama offense, but when by the time Suwama like started dropping on his head with the German suplexes, I thought they really picked up. Um, There's a great spot where like Suwama, you know, countered a pin right after running PK like into a cradle, which not really a sequence you ever expect to write for Suwama. <laughs> so that was a really cool spot. And then there was like you know like some very stiff lariats at the end, and then finally when Jake put him away with the backdrop, I, I thought it was like just a little too boring early for a lot of it to go four stars, but I really enjoyed it. So um, definitely a worthwhile match there. Uh, then we go to September fifteenth at the Dream Messe Miyagi West Building Hall in Sendai in front of three hundred two fans. Uh, the first of the two tournament matches was Zeus beating Dylan James in 1459 with a jackhammer. Go ahead with this one, Jared. Well,
0: I think this might be uh, the most contentious match we discuss on this show, uh, given what I know that you gave this. I went four stars on this. I really liked it. I didn't think it was as good as their match in the Champion Carnival, but I still thought this was a great match of two like big, got big muscle bound guys chopping each other. Zeus pulled out like some aerial moves um i would have gone higher if this had lasted longer i thought it was uh pretty awesome while it lasted but it was just sort of like lariat jackhammer and like just under 15 minutes uh i thought it was great while it lasted but you know uh, <laughs> but i still want it's like to me it was like a four-star match uh, but you know i don't know i'm just kind of curious your take because i know it wasn't uh, quite as in, high as mine
1: yeah, I only went two and three quarters. I thought it was very disappointing. And, you know, maybe it was, like, the my elevated, um, you know, like, expectations for it. Because, as you mentioned, like, they had an amazing match in the Champion Carnival. Maybe my All-Japan, if it's not my All-Japan match of the year, it's really close. I mean, they had a really, really awesome match. Um, you know, I just thought it was really boring for a long time. I mean, nothing like the champion carnival match at all by the time they finally started chopping each other hard and you know really got good it was already like the 10 minute mark and you know this only went 15 minutes so you know just a match where it didn't hold my attention at all for the first 10 minutes you know a match not holding your attention for the first 10 minutes is one thing if the match is going like you know 28 minutes but (laughs) this went 15 so you know i didn't think the the last five minutes were, were pretty good but like not nearly good enough to make up for those first 10 um you know, Zeus to the jackhammer. I just can't go higher than, like, you know, maybe even, maybe two and three quarters is too hard on it, but I just, it's, the expectations going in were so high, and they, they were not met at all, so. Um, but I know we're going to disagree on the next match, oh, too. Yeah, that's
0: right. This whole show
1: is a big disagreement, yeah. <laughs> uh, Shuji Shikawa beating Ryuji Sai in 22-16 with a giant slam.
0: Go ahead. Well, they redeemed themselves uh, after having the worst match of the champion carnival with a 30-minute draw. Uh, I went three and a quarter here. I thought it was okay. I thought it started out fine. I thought the last couple of minutes were actually pretty decent Uh, from Ishikawa. It just didn't hold my attention. It went 22 minutes. The middle part just didn't hold my attention at all. I would say most of it if you sort of added it all up. Yeah, I just didn't uh, wasn't uh, just didn't keep my attention really. So yeah, I thought this was awesome. <laughs> so
1: this is where we're very we did really disagree on, show. Uh, on the show. I really thought like again, maybe it was the reversal of the last match where my expectations were very low because like you said, you know the 30 minute draw of the champion card but I, don't, I don't think I actually watched that. I think everybody told me it was really bad so I skipped it but like you know I, Except I for that I, one guy who wrote the review
0: at the observer who's out of his mind
1: <laughs> no he liked it right yeah it a good... um but yeah i mean like i thought this was like first of all it had a way faster paced start than you would expect um you know i just wrote down there was nothing fancy about it but like it felt like a, a clash of wills almost like with the two of them really just beating each other up and you know that type of match i'm always gonna really like um the only thing i put took it down for was there was like a fire thunder driver spot in the apron where like it looked like i it don't know like if it
0: killed side
1: yeah it just didn't look good so like that could be the problem but i took it down a little for that but then back in the ring afterwards everything looked good again and then by the time ishikawa put him away with the giant slam i just thought it was like an awesome like really stiff battle i won four stars on it i thought it was great so this was like you know an, an awesome match at least and i think the best match of the entire first round so far so, little disagreement there on those two matches. <laughs> uh, then we get to Corrigan Hall on September 16th. Um, I did 1,306 fans, no vacancy on uh, Respect for Elders Day in Japan on this past Monday. That's why there was a – if you're wondering why there was a Monday noon show, that's there was a national holiday. Uh, it began with Kai and Yuma Aoyaki. Uh Kai won in 942 at the A Clutch, uh, Clutch, I should say. Uh, what did you think of this
0: one, Gerard? Uh, I th- thought it was not bad. I went three and a quarter. I thought, though, my issue was I thought AO looked great here. Uh, my issue was with Kai. Uh, he, I don't know, like he sort of just stood around outside for a bit when, like, because I thought it re- got a really cool start with, like, sort of like the dueling, like aerial attacks and attacking before the bell and that, that, that tope suicida from Kai looked like awesome. Yeah. But then it was just like some standing around outside that didn't... Sorry, I went three even on it. And um, just some standing outside, Kai standing around. They got back in the ring. What does Kai do? just puts on a figure four on Aoyagi without doing any leg work on him. Um, now when Ayagi sort of got back on offense and powered up towards the end of the match, it was pretty good. And then, um, I don't know. I don't mind flash pins at all, but I didn't like the way... It just worked in this one with uh, Kai's Genesuke clutch. Yeah, that was my one
1: big problem was I thought the cradle could have been a little cleaner. I still went three and a half. I still liked it more than you did. I thought, you know, the the figure four at the leg work didn't really bother me that much. I thought Aoyagi selling was great. Um, I thought the start of the match was great. The the stretch one with Aoyagi hitting those rolling Germans and then – you know, before Kai countered the Fishman Buster to the Cradle was really good. Maybe I overrated it because I like I just like both these guys a lot. But like, you know, I I had a good time and I went three and a half. It's it's a half a star. I
0: mean, it was not really matter. Is 2019 the uh, year I, of Kai? I guess not, right? Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know. I mean, I don't watch a lot of Dragon Gate, but I've seen a couple of things in Dragon Gate this year that I liked in Kai, and they had that match against Miyahara. Yeah. I mean, he had a pretty good, I guess he's had a he's could definitely could have had a worse year,
1: but I haven't seen a lot of Dragon Gate this year yet, this year at this point, so I can't really I mean I hear less complaining about him from the Dragon Gate fans. So well so yes,
0: 2019 must... is the year of Kai.
1: There you go. Uh then Taishi Takizawa defeating Gianni Velletta in 919 with the Takabisha. Takabisha? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Um what'd you think of this one?
0: uh passable i went two and three quarters um exactly it was you know like whatever volata did his stuff was in control for most of the match some brawling whatever uh some rest holds uh takizawa eventually took control hit some nice offense and uh won you know perfectly passable match and my point is like you know valetta is like people trying to argue like is like worst wrestler of the year I would argue that he's like tall to- simply tolerable, you know, and that kind of thing, right? There's a big difference in those for me.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's bad. I mean, it's very, you know, I think people it's one of those things where like
0: No, I'm people- not on the ballet <laughs> is like the second best worker in the company behind me a hard train either though. That's ridiculous too. Yeah.
1: I mean, like there's people in front of that like went really far with it, but like I don't think I think so. Maybe you're almost reacting to that, but I don't think he's a
0: bad wrestler. I think he's perfectly fine. I've seen or... I've seen people complain about Valletta, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, but I think maybe some of that has subsided. He I mean, he's definitely gotten better since he started.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, two and three quarters for me as well. I thought it was a perfectly fine match. After that, we have Yoshitatsu and Jiro. Uh, what do you think of this one? Giro won in twelve minutes.
0: So my, uh, I ran a whole gamut of emotions during this match. Uh, I liked the way that it it started with the the sneak attack, but then I thought the brawling went on for too long, uh, on the outside. Like you know, they zero got his head smashed into both the east and west signs. Right, so of course they're spending all the time to walk right across Korokin, which takes up a, a God. Awful amount of time. And then back in the ring, Yoshitatsu slaps on some rest holds, whatever. But then all of a sudden, as this match keeps going on, I feel like, damn, it's getting more heated. These guys are doing some stiff shots. The crowd is into it. And then, um you know, Jiro roll, like getting the sort of cradle on on Tatsu while he's going for the the koji clutch i thought that was a flash pin that was done well so i ended up going three and a half even though i was like eh when this match started
1: yeah i only went two and a half it just didn't really hold my attention uh, i didn't i didn't hate it or anything i just you know it wasn't a, a match that i was in love with um and of course now we it feels kind of stupid that jiro moved on here and that he's like fucking headlining a, a cork kind at of the end of the month for DET, where he can go to Super halls Extreme Champion for double title matches. Like, okay, none of that's happening because he announced on his own produce show he's going to the, going to America,
0: which everybody assumes means going to WWE. So I can't wait till <laughs> La Vince <laughs> sees that jacket. What is Vince going to think of the jacket?
1: <laughs> and there's so many people that have signed him. Like, what? Why are we signing these people? Like I, I, God bless WWE. Not really. But like what the fuck? They really needed a a small Japanese man who wears a jacket to the ring. Like that's really what they were missing to finally put their fucking it, five hundred. It's kind, it's kind of up.
0: interesting because like they're they're signing like all of the cult heroes, like Sari. Like, I mean how many honestly how, like to be honest, like let's be fair. How many people know who Sari is, right? and uh you know jiro's got but but i mean those that know her love her obviously and uh, jiro's got his own little cult following so it's funny that they're going after wrestlers like that instead of you know bigger names that even like even more casual fans might have heard of
1: i think if i feel like at this point they can't get the bigger names from japan
0: it's almost like they're going
1: after the the lesser people but yeah i don't know just look like they're, Chiro, obviously Jiro's going to do like terribly there. I mean, I feel like that's almost goes without saying. Oh, he's going to end but, up in a tag yeah.
0: team with Kushida. Yeah,
1: it's his life. I mean, you know, he can go do yeah. whatever
0: he wants. I'm just kind of curious, though, he- because it's like, I don't know, Like, obviously maybe like going to the WWE and being a star in America has some cachet in Japan. But also, at this point, given how every wrestler has been treated and given how... You know, WWE now has more Japanese wrestlers at, at one time than it's ever had before. How is that still as alluring given what's happened to everyone? Yeah, there? I don't know. Unless the money is just like, I remember, so good. I mean, it's great,
1: apparently. So I'm sure that is part of it. But yeah. like, though, I you really want to go like low Sarai, you know, like that fucking yeah, low trademark. Yeah. I so fucking terrible. All right. Um, yeah, my whole point is I just wish he could have waited to announce that because now it kind of spoils. He's probably going out in the next round and he's for sure. Well, losing also, the, the same interesting
0: title. thing coming out of this is that the the next round match is Kento Mihara versus Jiro, and they're doing it at Shinkiba first yeah. ring, which I feel like seems like a small place to do a match like that. I feel like you could get a, put that in a bigger building.
1: That's a good point. Uh, the main event, speaking of Kento, he beat Joe Doring at 1134, but the uh,
0: shutdown German suplex hold. What did you think of this one? I really like this. Um, I went three and three quarters. Not perfect by any means. Uh, it, to me, even more so than some of uh, Kento's shorter champion carnival matches, felt like they were trying to do, let's have a triple crown title match to condense it into like... I don't know, 11 and a half minutes. Uh, Also, this is the best uh, that Doring has looked all year. Uh, He was injured uh, during the Champion Carnival, uh, which is why he was doing that cross body instead of like power bombs. He had a shoulder injury apparently. And in some of the stuff since then, he hasn't looked that great. I thought uh, his match with uh, uh, Doring against um, uh, Violent Giants in I think June for the tag team titles was sort of disappointed, disappointing given some of the matches those teams have had in the past, but Doring was off last tour, so he's rested up. I thought he looked really good here. Uh, Like I said, it has those elements of a Kento triple crown title match condensed. Um, Only thing I would say is that I thought the ending, I would have gone higher on this match if I thought the ending was a little more thrilling. Like Joe had gotten a couple more near falls, Mia Hard gotten a couple more near falls, like the ending was sort of just like Doring misses a crossbody, a running crossbody, sort of gets caught in the ropes, and then Kento just slaps on the shutdown German for the win. Uh, but I thought everything leading up to that was a lot of fun. So I was a, just a little
1: bit lower than you. I only went three and a quarter. Um, you know, just I didn't really think much of anything until right before the 10 minute mark when uh during like no soul that knee from kento and just unloaded on him you know that was like the highlight for me but before that there wasn't a ton there for me um but you know maybe just the sudden ending like just not expecting you know the the very quick ending at like the ending to come so fast might have like stunned me so much into a lower rating i don't know but you know i didn't i didn't hate it or anything i thought it was good but you know only three and a quarter good so you know disappointing and not a not a great show and not a great first round I mean the, the highest rated match I had was Ishikawa and Sai, which I went four stars on but you know there's still a lot of tournament left here as we'll get into the upcoming matches so you know still plenty of time for some better matches here. yeah I
0: think there will be some better matches going into the next couple of rounds um like I'm really looking forward to I think it's uh we're getting Nomura versus Zeus which I have like yeah absolutely. so let's go through them real quick. Yeah. Uh, well, I know... We're okay,
1: so September eight, uh, So September 18th at Shinkiba, we have Kento Miyahara and Jiro, and then we also have Shuji Ishikawa against uh, Takizawa. I'm really excited for Shuji and Takizawa for some reason. I think that could be a, a cool match. Yeah, there are a couple of
0: big guys uh, going at it for sure.
1: And then September twenty uh, September 22nd, is when we get the other two matches which as you just mentioned one of them is um one of them is zeus and nomura and then the other one is uh jake is it Jake? no it's kai and uh kai and nomura what am i fuck... no kai and jake clay i'm sorry <laughs> i'm trying to like read off that could bracket, either be basically.
0: awesome or i don't know like to me that's a big question mark that could be awesome or just like three star special i'm kind of curious yeah. from that so kai and nomura
1: yeah and zeus and and zeus and
0: uh wait no i have that reversed. sorry zeus and nomura yeah. kai and jake lee there we go and Zeus and um, Nomura definitely my <laughs> most eagerly awaited second round match i think that will be awesome
1: and that'll be from osaka 80 on number two and then that's on september 22nd so that'll be next week or ne- this coming sunday actually and the finals will be in nagoya on september 23rd at the international conference hall event hall so um still feels like jake lee's winning this i kind yeah, of
0: yeah uh, especially like with the win over Suam in the first round and yeah. also like i don't know how much to read into this because you can't necessarily read into these things in all japan booking like you can in um New Japan sometimes, but they had a match. Uh, they had a show on September 11th in uh, Shinkiba also, uh, Shinkiba first ring. And like the main event was like a six man with just all tournament uh, participants. And then after it, everyone gets on the mic and is like, I'm going to win. I'm assuming they're saying like, I'm going to win the Odo tournament. But then like everyone leaves and then Jake Lee is alone in the ring and gets the longest amount of time with the mic sort of close to the show. So I thought that might have been some sort of hint.
1: Um as far as like yeah the, the way the remaining match you got looking at the bracket. I mean you could have semifinals on one side with Kento and Nomura. So Nomura can get his run over Kento there if he beats Zeus. And then you know I mean or you could have Zeus beat Kento, I guess.
0: But see I, think... I would I would save that big Nomura win over Kento until um, he finally beats him for the title. Maybe, but yeah. So they either could do a Zeus Jake Lee final or a Jake Lee Nomura final. I guess we'll say. they could even just. Uh, do I, I, a Jake, be... they could even do a Jake Lee oh. mihara final. Uh, that's not impossible either. I guess. That's a good point. Give Jake his win there, and then have because they, they've mind. done the uh, champion goes to the finals of a turn. That's what they did with Marufuji in the in the in the uh, champion carnival. He beat. Yeah. uh Miyahara in the finals and then they had the title match the next month and Miyahara beat yeah. him
1: so that could be very possible so i guess we'll say
0: because um, they
1: what do they do they have a they don't have a big show coming up do they they're they're like the one promotion not running Sumo <laughs> Hall. in
0: in <laughs> the, the month November of October and- no uh no the big show in October is just a corkin and... yeah. but also I just because Sorry, but during the intermission, uh, they made some announcements for the October tour, which is the anniversary tour. Uh, 40 It'll be 47th, uh, Raising an Army Tour. Uh, October is the month when that new president takes over, but uh, they announced a bunch of outsiders and some more Big Japan participation. So I think it's safe to say this All Japan's Becoming Isolationist thing can now finally be laid to rest
1: yeah i mean i just didn't know how that was ever going to work anyway so um but yeah so to answer my own question like you said they have two corkins on the raising an army memorial series october 9th october 24th and after that we go straight to the real world tag league uh november 11th through december 9th so no like big big shows coming up i guess um you know not they're not running sumo hall like seemingly the entire rest of japanese wrestling yeah uh and that Remember like Big Japan, Noah, and DT, I think are running them like three days straight or something. Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, I, I I will say like, I expect to see some all Japan guys on Noah's uh Sumo Hall show.
1: Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Um I guess that wraps things up there. So let's go ahead and get into some questions. I did get a few questions here. I think we'll see on New Japan. Let's see. Uh should have this open? Oopsie doozy. First question from at uh, at Anders Vilster with Osprey and Shingo moving to heavyweight and punky 3K facing GOD a few times this year. Do you think the line between junior and heavyweight will vanish or are they unique situations? I think they're unique situations. I don't think the the lines going anywhere. I think what people miss about the line between junior and heavyweight isn't so much the the actual physical way aspect of it. it is more that it's a booking. It's like, it's a booking um, tool to let people come up slowly and not have to immediately put them in the main events. Like, look, you start off Kenny Omega as a junior and you let him sit there for a couple of years until you need him. You start off Will Ospreay as a junior and let him sit there for a while. And now you slowly bring him along instead of being, you know, burned out on Will Ospreay made events by now. I think the junior heavyweight thing, you know, besides being a size thing, is also good as like a way to keep guys, you know, from climbing through the ranks too quickly. So that's why I do think it is a unique situation. I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't Do you disagree with me on this, Gerard? Uh,
0: no, I don't disagree with anything you just said at all. I'll just add, though, uh, like, just my opinion, uh, I guess maybe a bit of a hot take, but I don't want there to be just one set of tag titles and the lines completely blurred. I think what the issue is, is the, uh, like, because that that was, I was fine with the the way the, like, sort of old New Japan, especially when the junior tag titles were first introduced and you had, like, teams like Shinjiro Otani and Taki Iwa and, like, Minoru Tanaka and Liger and and, and all of those, like, classic teams. I think the issue is, like, just book the tag titles in both weight divisions better and give them more attention and people wouldn't yeah. be clamoring for like, oh, let's just throw Rapongi 3K and God together all the time or completely blur the lines. I don't think it, it's needed. What's needed is smarter booking of each tag title.
1: And look, if, having the separate divisions and having the separate titles makes this G.O.D. Roppongi 3K match feel a lot more special yeah. than it would if they were just always in the same division together. So I, I, I completely disagree with the idea that you should get rid of it. I agree. I, I think it's fine the way it is. Uh, at FXk dreaming question is it gay for two wrestlers to spit on each other for no real reason while grinning like absolute horny bastards I do think that is pretty gay yes I have to say if you' want, if you're a fall twitter that answer probably makes no sense but uh <laughs> Naito and Ibushi, they had this they had this I talked a little about this before I guess they had this gif where the two of them were like spitting at each other and grinning like really really like grinning about it. And, you know, I quote tweeted it and said, um, you know, like these two men, this is not the build to a, uh, a a match. It's the build of the two of them having sex. And some fucking guy, like, came in my mentions and got very, like, angry about it. He's like, oh, grown ass adults of uh, wrestling Twitter. It's so weird. I'm like, buddy, I'm making a joke. Like, he basically acted like, um, you know, you'd think my tweet was, here is my Tetsuya Naito X Jay White uh, slash fan fanfiction. Would you like to read it on uh, Archive of Our Own <laughs> or whatever the fuck? And I'm like, look, that's not what that tweet was. It was it was clearly a joke. And the fact that, you know, it was a very popular tweet. Anyone with a sense of humor saw it as a joke. But, you know, this one fucking baby from uh, fucking Barber's Chair net, one of these WWE uh, You know, cheerleader sites. You know, he had to take issue with it because if people take issue with anything that has anything to do with New Japan. So you know, and then they they yell about how New Japan fans are so rude and New Japan fans are so nasty. It's like, well, I'm over here minding my own business, making a joke about two wrestlers I like, and you're all up in my business about it. Maybe, maybe fuck off. (laughs) Maybe fuck off. Uh, but yes, to answer his question, it is indeed gay.
0: I think what we're going to get, yeah. what what the, what this what this feud is going to do uh, by the end of it is people are going to be demanding uh, at the end of the year that there's a new category of sexiest feud of the year.
1: <laughs> like, look, this feud is very horny. Yeah. The two of them are like, it's very horny. Like, the two of them act like they're going to fuck each other. Okay? And look, and I, I don't even want to act like before. Like, there's anything wrong with writing fucking wrestling slash fan fiction if that's your thing you know knock yourself out you can even slide in my dms with the link later i don't even care but look <laughs> it not, i'm just saying my thing was absolutely a joke okay it was clearly a joke and the only person that took it uh so fucking
0: seriously was that guy and his stupid buddy so whatever right. stupid <laughs> drama did you think before this feud started that these two would have this kind of chemistry, What you know, even if it wasn't necessarily this sexy or whatever, but just that they would have, like, this sort of incredible chemistry that they do? Uh, I can't say it was a complete surprise because I think they're both, like,
1: you know, very, like, slimy almost. They're both, like, very, um, you know, they have that, like, very like douchebag energy, you know? <laughs> so and I, I like them both. I love Nitro, obviously. But they they have that energy of like, you know, kind of like slimy assholes. So I'm not really surprised. It's like to me it was either gonna go one of two ways. Like either they'd have no chemistry at all because they're too similar and it wouldn't work at all. Or they would have great fucking chemistry and the, the feud would be awesome. And you know I'm glad it went that way. So um at yesterday dances, where the fuck is Mikey Nichols? First of all, you might be the only person who gives a shit. That's a hell of a question.
0: Uh, I think he's hurt, right? Isn't he? I, could I just assume I read that. that they're cycling him in and out as they need him. I don't know. I haven't heard he was hurt, yeah, but I... it would just make sense. Like, I mean, you know, some people have gotten destruction off. He was obviously not going to be in the G one. I I'm sure he's going to be in World Tag League. Um, now I don't I don't watch yeah. NXT weekly. Uh, uh i watch uh, takeover sometimes the only way i know what's going on in xt is joe Lanza's thursday tv reviews but i could have sworn that in the last couple of weeks the the name shane thorn came up so i'm not sure that shane thorn is about like anytime soon about to leave wwe but i could just see yeah. him and juice uh teaming at world tag league
1: well, I think he is hurt because, according to Cage Match, his last appearance, even in Australia, was July thirteenth. So, mm. there you go. Uh, her other question was, when will David Finley come back? Uh, I would think soon. You'd think he'd be almost healed by now. But
0: wasn't it as many? Wasn't it like like seven or eight months? Some of the like the on the long end of the recovery.
1: Yeah, which would put it like it would put like October like October, November.
0: Right. So, yeah. And also, um, New Japan has shown about a certain uh, person that's been injured for a while that sometimes they uh, time the returns not based on when they physically can, but when the time is right.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then a couple questions here to wrap up here from uh, Guy Yeager, which I apologize for mispronouncing that. What if this Ikomen moving to USA stuff is just a ploy for him to join Bullet Club and he appears in San Jose wearing a Bullet Club themed blazer. Is that better or worse than going to WWE? Uh, look, I, I'm not gonna. I, I can't be one of these people out here being like it's the same thing or going to WWE is better than the New Japan Junior Division. Like, of course it'd be better. I mean, look, Bullet Club is kind of whatever, but like at least they have at least first of all, at least you'd be able to watch him wrestle. You know, like we would see him on television more than like once every fucking six months. Like, I feel like you see. People Look,
0: in WWE. Jiro forming a tag team with bad luck folly would be better than him going to WWE. I mean there's no comparison. Like there's no comparison.
1: Um and then he says, if you could choose any Fed employed wrestler, and, you know, it means WWE, who is in a down period there to rehab in a Puro company, who would it be and where? What do you think, Gerard? Who are you rehabbing? Uh i
0: I'd, I'd send Rusev to all Japan. <laughs> That would be fucking awesome, but look, he's he's Maria's baby daddy. So I mean, look. What- oh yeah, he came back last night. I guess. Uh, who else? I can't think who else is down. I don't know. I would have said Luke Harper in All Japan too, but he's back as well. Yeah, they got to use everybody now because you know. Uh, I know some people have said that Mo- Mojo Rawley should go to Japan, but I I don't know. Please. Um, I'm gonna go with
1: Shinsuke Nakamura <laughs> because. I think that guy could use a new start. Although people have been I don't know, people talk up his Japan. It, it, has he been good since he won the Intercontinental title? I don't Some know. People on I, say-
0: I've only I swear to God I've only watched one episode of Raw and no SmackDown in the last six weeks. But so I haven't really okay. seen anything from the latest. But like, I don't know. You Apparently they I, I heard they have them the- doing commentary now. Uh oh, okay. I thought he was Intercontinental Champion. Well, yeah, but no, no, it was just like it was an angle. Like I think it was like Sami Zayn wrestling and right. and Nakamura doing the commentary, sort of as like a, a joke of the gimmick that they're doing, where Sami Zayn being uh, Nakamura's mouthpiece. I think that's what the idea was.
1: Yeah. Um... But yeah, I don't know. You know, I I, I guess Shinsuke in New Japan to save his career. Why not? I'm I, just I, I don't I,
0: think... okay. So if if Shinsuke appeared in New Japan tomorrow and you put him in the ring with someone like Abushi or Okada or Tanahashi, how good a match do you think Shinsuke can still have?
1: I don't know. That's a good question.
0: Look after after what John Moxley did. I'm never going to
1: count anybody out coming from WWE because... Well, John, you know, well, yeah, but I mean, I'm talking... Like, health-wise,
0: though, it was a little different. Yeah, no,
1: no, no, I, I hear you. But I just mean, like, I i can't... I, I feel like I can no longer base what someone might do outside of WWE. Yeah, see, based I asked, on-
0: sort of, Sorry, but also, like, the same thing is with me and AJ. Like, how much is AJ... He's in his early 40s and his body's catching up to him? Or I just get signed a new contract extension and I can coast, right? Yeah. Like just nobody, there, there's
1: no, I, I just feel like there's no incentive. And I feel like I, we're talking way too much about WWE, which is a promotion I really, <laughs> I legitimately have not watched in like four months. So they could be like the greatest fucking promotion of all time for all I know. I'm confident they're not based on <laughs> what everybody else says. You know, people I trust, but for all I know they could be the greatest promotion of all time. So I shouldn't talk too much shit about them because I don't watch them. Um, but yes, I mean, after Moxley going from WWE to New Japan, and you know, being that good, when I never cared about him in WWE, or at least not since the Shield originally originally split up, you know, I can't I can't write off anybody. Fucking, I don't know who who fucking sucks. Uh, you know, Mojo Raleigh for one. He could go to fucking Japan and tear it up. Would I be surprised if that happened tomorrow? I, I wouldn't really because you know we already saw what John Moxley did. So it's like. You know, there's nobody in that company, really, that could go, you know, fucking Jinder Mahal could
0: go. Well, it's funny because I, I, I was reading these stories about, like, Dana Brooke, like, is really, like, wanting to, like, work hard and, like, show management that, like, you know, to push her and that like, she takes everything very seriously. I say send her to stardom for a couple tours.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty much... There's really nobody in the company that wouldn't probably be a lot better. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know who would be well, worse. Well, the Miz. I don't know
0: because like the Miz is like a a, Mi- a purebred like WWE, and I actually even kind of like the Miz, but like he's purebred WWE. I like so I could uh, see his his this whole idea of how to put a match clashing very heavily, even especially in Japan, or even on an indie outside yeah. of WWE somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: All right, so let's wrap it up here, Gerard. Give me some plugs. Uh,
0: yeah. So there will be uh, co- there's continuing coverage of the Odo tournament at uh, Voices of Wrestling that I'm going to be that I've done some, and I know uh, Thomas, who was on last week, um, is going to be doing a show or two. Uh, also, if you or you know anyone who votes in the wrestling observer hall of fame please bully them until they say that they will be voting for june akiyama and and i'm going to say june and mako too please okay um, and also Oshima. Uh, i could uh, i think he deserves <laughs> it and hayabusa and that's it <laughs> how about tawei um, yeah, you got to throw uh, Taui in there too. But I just find that Akiyama is the most glaring. um
1: Yes, yes I, I mean, I totally
0: agree. Akiyama is like, seriously, what of, Especially I, with Nagata in there. I, oh, yeah. Uh, Akiyama, like,
1: if you ask me, is he one of the best of all time, like, to narrow it down, he has to be at least top 10. Yes, and longevity,
0: because he was yeah. good from day one.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just can't. It's really bizarre he's not in. It's not like, it's not like he do, I mean, he's one of the best handwritten workers of all time. You know, it's not like he doesn't have a bunch of, a bunch of matches where he drew. He saved all Japan. I, it just makes no sense to me that he's not in. But anyway, we're, we're going to talk about that in a future episode. So I should save it.
0: Just guess- bully anyone until they vote for Akiyama.
1: Yes. Um, but yeah, so. If you're interested in reading my my thoughts on that, of course, you can go to, as I mentioned at the start of the show, VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling did not fit. Next week, we're going to be back with a lot of the same kind of stuff we talked about today because uh, we're going to wrap up the Destruction Tour with Destruction in Kobe. Uh, we're going to wrap up the the Odo Tournament with the last three nights. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a returning guest from last year, TJ. Who runs the Russell One English blog? Uh, he'll be on next week to so help me break all that down. Uh, and we're also going to talk some Joshi as well. We're going to talk the end of the Tokyo, or the end of the Stardom Five Star Grand Prix, assuming that's up in time for us to talk about it, because you never really know with uh, Stardom World. And we're also going to talk about the um, the a couple Tokyo Joshi Pro shows from this past week. So that'll be next week. Some Joshi uh, destruction in Kobe and the end of the ojo tournament uh in the meantime like i said if you enjoyed this episode and want to pass us a few bucks you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash wrestling uh dash omakase o-m-a-k-a-s-e um and you know leave us a positive view on itunes that always helps too in the meantime thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time